that's kind of how Liverpool approached this game. Um, here's how United approached this game. Uh, all I wrote down was yikes. Welcome back, everyone, to the Touchline Theory Soccer Podcast, hosted by yours truly, that's me, Martine, and my tremendous and brilliant compadre, Will. Today, the footballing world's been ablaze with surprises left, right, and left again, so we thought there'd be no better time than now to present to you all, our loyal listeners, a few of our very own, too. But before we dive in, before Christmas comes early, William, what's going on? Not much, man. It's good to be back. It's been a been a tough last few weeks not doing this podcast. This is really my only creative outlet in the world. So I've been feeling a lot of cooped up energy. I'm excited to unleash it again on all of you people at home. Good. I'm glad that we yeah. can uh, use this space for something productive. So I think we're going to get right into our very first surprise. Like I said, today is a day full of surprises. Uh, oh, it's it's a big day. You you guys better be prepared. This will not be <laughs> like the previous episodes. <laughs> besides the fact that we're obviously putting out an episode, which is a surprise, I think, in and of itself. Mm -hmm. But here's here goes nothing. We're just going to go for it. We're just going to dive right in. There's no time to waste here today, Will. So our first surprise, all right, is a brand new segment that's... Basically, nothing more than a rebrand of what we already do. Yeah. So inspired still, by... Still the same meaningless talking. Don't worry. <laughs> inspired by all the badges and crests from episode five that have changed nothing but their club's superficial exteriors, we are ecstatic to introduce a transformation of our very own. It's a review of what's popping around the footballing world, and we are calling it Weekend Wound Up. A bit where we read true headlines from the past few weeks and react spontaneously to their implications. Wow, Will, are you ready? That's pretty cool. Yeah, let's let's wound it up. All righty, wound up. Here we go. Weekend wound up. Headline number one: On the anniversary of Bartomeu's exile from the fabled Palace of Catalonia, Ronald Koeman, a coach renowned for his tactical innovation called "quote unquote" the false center back, has been dismissed from the helm of FC Barcelona. Will, how are we feeling? Well, I just don't think they had a player who could really play the false center back role at the club. And that's a big factor in why Koeman was sent off. Oh, my gosh. Listen, man, all, all jokes aside, uh, this is so monumental uh, for me personally and also for, I think, the landscape of football in general, given that Barcelona has found itself as a bit of a laughing stock in recent times. And, and Koeman has unfortunately been the, uh, the pressure point that's been... Um, kind of bearing the brunt of people's insults for yeah. many months that this is going to become an episode of its own. So you might have seen from the name of today's episode that this is a part one. We do have a mysterious part two coming, but this is your hint as to what we're going to be talking about kind of within the same uh -huh. context of today's topic that Will's going to be spearheading. So we have plenty to say about this. Uh, it's ironic that Bartomeu left on the same day. Uh, it's the anniversary but um, there's certainly a lot to get into here with Ronald Koeman and with the future of Barcelona. So we will kind of actually hold on to that for 
another time. Yeah, we'll see. I'm I'm very very curious to hear what you think about all this though, and who who you'd hope to see coming next. But yeah, we'll we'll save it for next week. All right. Yeah, another headline for us. Yes, weekend wound up. Headline number mm-hmm. two. We've got. The festive season kicks off with a bang. Bayern Munich lose 5-0 to Gladbach, cementing Barcelona fans' first good day since 2015. Is the Barca-Bayern rivalry really that big, where that's that's a big positive for you? I think Um, the 8-2 was such a visceral wound that a lot of Barcelona fans rejoice when Bayern suffers. I also think that the... World Cup loss for Argentina between them and Germany with Goetze scoring in that and the fact that the German national team has been pretty synonymous and overlapped with the Bayern team over the course of time has also kind of established a bit of a unspoken rivalry. But I don't know. How do you perceive things? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I know there's the history in the European competitions. I just I don't know. I, I never hear you talk about Bayern very much, I suppose. And you're you're one of the only Barca fans I really know. But is a shocking result. I mean, Bayern have been killing teams pretty much all season. They they won their previous match in DFB Pokal, I think, 12-0 before losing this one, 5-0. So that's yeah. Uh, yeah, quite a swing there. Um, pretty surprising. But, you know, these one-off results happen. I, I don't think it's quite as bad a sign as the other 5-0 we saw this week, certainly. <laughs> we, will, we have plenty to say about that. Yeah, I think- we do. I saw something online about the fact that the current Gladbach manager is Adi Hutter, right? I believe. Yeah, and they, he was the last one to beat them this badly with uh, Frankfurt, I guess. Yes, that before? Yeah. exactly. Back when Sebastian Haller was an up-and-coming guy before he became the star of, of Ajax, back when Luka Jovic, uh, I don't know, uh, played and was regarded <laughs> highly. And when... Ante Rebic was also very feared at Frankfurt, though I don't really know how he's fared at Milan. But I mean, um, actually, generally pretty well. He's he's probably been overall the most successful of the three since leaving Frankfurt. Um, hmm. That group because Haller obviously is doing quite well now, but he's had a tough couple of years at West Ham, I think, before this, where he maybe wasn't producing very much. I don't even know if it was a couple of years. I think it might have been one, if not less. I remember they yeah, maybe they, like, it was just one. It was it, it was at least a season though. Uh, yeah, they they broke the bank for him and then literally were very very comfortable cutting their losses, which is pretty unique, I think, in this modern era where once you buy a player, you tend to hold on to them for needless amounts of time, and that's something that we will certainly talk about today yeah. and who, later. Who this would week. do something like that? <laughs> um, but okay, uh, we will keep moving with weekend wound up. We've got headline number three. This one, you know, less uh, comedic in tone, but tragedy at Locatelli Tower. Sassuolo trounces Juve in the 96th minute. How do we feel? Kind of a crazy result. Kind of a crazy result. Uh, Maybe not this season. I don't know. Juventus have looked shaky to me every time I've watched them all year. They, uh, you know, their defense is still great, but clearly aging, I think, a little bit. It's uh, It's been the same core of players back there. I guess Quadrado, Chiellini, Benucci, Alexandro for probably, I mean, what, three, four seasons now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, they're, I think so. They're not getting much younger. And I don't know. It's a, it's a tough result for Juventus. I didn't watch the game. I just saw the last goal, um, which was, I mean, Juventus has thrown everybody forward on the counterattack trying to win and then pretty much just one incredible cross field ball it took out the one defender who had stayed back and just a simple finish in caper but um i mean Serie A on the whole is incredibly interesting this year i, I don't know if you've been watching much but i've been uh, keeping an eye on napoli and roma especially who are two teams that you know i think will be fancying their chances and maybe finishing above juventus this year it's maybe 
a bit of a transitional period for Juventus. They, uh, you know, have maybe spent the past couple of years instead of transitioning, just trying to hold on to the shell of Ronaldo and hoping they would, you know, be able to create a new era with him. But now that he's gone, it feels like it's really a fresh start. And they're still trying to figure out what exactly their best front three is, you know, where these guys like Dybala, Kulusevski fit into the team. But, you know, there's a lot of talent there, a lot of young talent. I think the future is bright for Juventus, even if, you know, this is maybe not the best season for them. Would you? Who would you say is the protagonist for them right now in Ronaldo's wake? Is it Chiesa? Is it Dybala? Who's taking up the mantle? It's no one really has yet, I would say. I mean, hmm. I, I guess the most consistent player has probably been Morata so far this year for them. But, hmm. you know, he's he's maybe not one that Juventus fans would, you know, point at and see, like, this, this is the guy we're going to carry the future with. I think, uh, you know... I think Chiesa, a player like that, will settle in. I think Dybala will, you know, hopefully find his form again. Because he's, I mean, he's he's a player who's maybe not had the best past few years relative to what was expected of him from a younger age. But he's still, he's still an incredible talent. He's a lot of fun to watch when he's on. And you know, I'm uh, hoping to see him, you know, maybe finally be the main man for this Juventus team now, which he's, hmm. I don't think has ever really had an opportunity to do in the past. I mean, what's interesting about him specifically is that we've talked about the death of the number 10 a little bit on this podcast, but the, the bizarre thing about Dybala is that he's actually very functional on the wing. He's very yeah. functional as a goal scorer. He's quick uh, in a way that a lot of the 10s that we talk about in terms of those that have maybe uh, petered out like James Rodriguez, who's now in Qatar, or like Coutinho, who I have plenty to say about, but we will yeah, save Mes- that Mes- for another time. Another one. Yeah. yeah, all these guys yeah. that... Uh, kind of like don't put in a shift defensively, aren't really quick enough and dynamic on the dribble to actually get by players, used to maybe have some sort of, you know, shooting prowess from distance. No, it's like, but Dybala kind of still has it. He just hasn't really been talked about a lot and naturally never really gets a chance within the Argentine side because he's far too similar to Messi and other players that have probably just overshone him in the past. And I think he's probably been unlucky to have guys like, Ronaldo realistically that are in that team that are just yeah gonna take up space in a way that obviously I don't want to let my biases shine through and I think they'll shine through plenty of the course of the rest of this podcast but like when you have a guy like that people are gonna you know, fixate on that the ball is gonna get funneled to them you're not really gonna focus so much on developing the younger talent like Kulusevsky who I've heard is rumored to want to maybe leave um and there are situations like that where everybody needs to now suddenly sacrifice for a superstar. And when you have other players there that are capable and are more than capable, you know, like upper echelon guys like Dybala, it can be tough to figure out where they can actually absorb some of the light when there's this massive tree that's soaking it all up. So, yeah, it's almost like just having a lot of really good forwards um, is maybe not (laughs) just an automatic solution to all of your problems. So with that, speaking of uh, wealth of forward attacking talent, I've got headline number four. You ready? Always. Yeah, let's do it. A goal of orgasmic proportions. Liverpool starlet Divock Origi nets an absurdly casual scorpion touch, I guess, to defeat the former 1888 Football League champions Preston North End. Did you say starlet? Yes, I don't know. It's right. just like the, the Sun and all those cr- terrible newspapers and sure. Interest, always interesting choice for Origi. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I sent I sent a message in the group chat after this uh, that said if Origi cared even a little bit, he'd be the best player in the world. And I genuinely believe that. 
He, him and him and him and Olivier Giroud kind of have a similar thing in common where they tend to just only score ludicrous goals. And yeah, there is like, some entertainment sh- factor in there. It, it's good. Like Origi is, you know, a player I, I never know what to expect from. I'm like kind of still filled with dread every time he starts. But alongside that is like just a little bit of excitement that he's going to pull off something crazy like this. He, he seems to you know, attract weird goals, you know, crazy moments, things like the Pickford double crossbar parry or this, you know, it just, it just happens to him. And, you know, he's, he's got incredible positioning sense. You know, he, he doesn't move at all. He just goes where he's needed and then stands <laughs> still for like a minute. It's, it's really brilliant. It's like nothing else I've ever seen. Um, Maybe we'll have to do an episode on just how some players can manage to have highlight reels that look just utterly out of place compared to their average performances. Yeah. I, I don't even know if I'd put, I mean, Giroud is definitely a massive step above Origi on, sure. on that level. Like Origi, you know, has more of a knack for getting weird goals than like very high quality goals, I would say. But was Origi the one that punted the ball against the post and it hit him in the face? Or is that somebody else that I'm thinking? That of? was a bat- Batshuayi. Batshuayi. Another Belgian player. Yeah. The most Any. informed striker in the world at a certain point, according to our friend Justin. So. <laughs> All right. Weekend wound up. Headline number five. We've got, who's surprised? Real Madrid emerged victorious in a muted El Clasico after none other than Bayern agent David Alaba cements Neuer's status as the German number one yet again. Yeah. I wasn't that surprised. I mean, I, <laughs> I only either. watched the first half of this game because uh, as, as we'll get to in a bit, there was, you know, uh, other stuff going on during the second half that maybe drew my attention a little bit more. But I mean, Barca, Barca looked fine, I suppose. I mean, relative to how they've looked the rest of the season, you know, they they created some good chances, but they just they just never really seemed to have that killer instinct. Um, and they they were run overrun a little bit too easily by Madrid in midfield. I thought I still think Barca maybe need to find some different defensive midfield solutions to, you know, putting a 35, 36 year old Sergio Busquets out there. And, you know, leave pretty cool. sure he's pretty sure he's 33, but he might look like he's older just based yeah. on his locomotion. I mean, I thought, I thought Busquets was like 33 in 2010, to be honest. So <laughs> I, just I have no stayed. idea. He's just one of those guys, right? So Boozy has actually played quite well in recent times. Frankie de Jong was the main one, I think, that turned a lot of heads in El Clasico because he had a really, really underwhelming performance. I think Eric Garcia actually played very well, um, yeah. handled Benzema pretty reasonably. Um, yeah, no, ben, think... Benzema did not you know, have, have his most influential game, for sure, especially in the form he's been in. Like That's, that's impressive to keep him quiet. But the thing is, I've made, I've said this before. I'm I'm not really here to look for silver linings. Um, the seismic event that took place today, where Coleman got sacked, uh, is an, an indication of the fact that, you know, we we can't look at this with any sort of you know, good. There's no good aspect to to enjoy yeah. from this. It's still a bad result. Like I went into this game expecting that we were going to lose and we lost, and I still didn't feel good about it. And I think, um. Yeah, and, and I, I mean, I said Barcelona looked good relative to how they've looked the rest of the oh, season. Oh, sure. But I mean, cert- certainly not how you would like them to look and compete against a Real Madrid team. Like, it, it was it was clearly one team was on top for, for this whole game, pretty I much. I mean, the other thing that is painful to kind of watch, and the reason I made the headline the way that I did is, like, the shot that Alba takes is ridiculous, especially for a center back. He's very, very <laughs> talented. Um, Ter Stegen probably can do better. It's not really in the total upright i am confident that Ter Stegen kind of is a little underwhelming here and i know we talked in the last episode about the fact that so many people 
have brought up this new narrative that he's just not as good as we think he is. I have faith in Ter Stegen, but this was kind of, again, just the end. It's like a symbolic moment where it was like, really? okay, like that's a shot from really far out where when Alaba, who is a left footed center back is taking that touch and winding it up. There's basically only place he's going to go, which is across his body far post. When you can tell he's already, his eyes have lit up looking at goal and Ter Stegen's footwork just is not good enough to be able to cover the net. Like that is a save that yeah. Courtois makes, that Oblak makes, that Allison and Ederson both make. Yeah. And it's, if it, Stegen... it's, a save, it's a save they make look easy. Because I think, I mean, to, to be fair, like once once that ball leaves his foot, there's no stopping it. Right? Mm. It's, a, it's, a, it's a positioning error. That's right? the he, thing. He, he yeah. should have been set up better before. But once once the strike is hit, right, nothing he can do. I think it's it's like it's... It's harsh on him to call it a terrible mistake, but I agree. You know, a, a keeper with you know better positioning sense, or even just Ter Stegen in better form, maybe is uh, in a position where he can reach that and keep it out. It, it's just a shame. And again, it's the it's the message of the whole season. You know, like Depay has moments of brilliance, but then also, you know, today against Rasho Valchegano, like he missed a penalty. So like. I mean, that that type of thing happens. He's been scoring them with aplomb in recent weeks. And then against Bacigano, he just messed it up. Like, I mean, Pedri is out. Ansu, after, you know, having, I don't know who it was, Modric or Mendy, like, accident, accidentally fallen him. Now he's got knee pain again in his other Yeah, knee. I saw that. Like, Shame. we've got Luke de Jong that comes on and loses possession five times in four minutes. Like, it's just, it's, it's oh, utterly ludicrous. For him. Like, at this point, again, it's just, I mean, I, I'm I'm watching these games with as much composure as possible because if you get too invested in it at this point, it's almost like you're just, it's, just, it's masochism. You're just hurting yourself. So I'm trying to put some distance between it. But, yeah, you know, watching, I... watching the game this weekend with like, you know, some of our friends from our soccer group chat, like on video and having them all grinning at me every time that, you know, we lost possession or un- unsuccessfully pressed wow. Real Madrid, like, yeah, I mean, this this is, this is a bad time to be a, a, a coulé. And, like, I mean, Real Madrid doesn't look too hot either, and they'll certainly get lifted right. when Mbappe comes and they shore up other angles. But, I mean, their transition season is looking a lot better than ours is, for sure. Yeah, I, you know, not, not to pick sides, but, you know, Madrid objectively have a much brighter <laughs> future than Barcelona. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. And this will be my last comment before we go on to the next weekend wound up. I, I think that if you look at our actual players, this is what a lot of people have been discussing. It's kind of entirely nonsensical that the team has been performing to such a low kind of tactical level based on the fact that we have the, this crop of absurd talent. Like today, Nico Gonzalez was the best player on the field for us against Rayo Brasho. And like, he got pulled off and Luke Dion came on. And that was just, again, emblematic of like this refusal to just be like, we have so many guys that are so young that are like 18 years old, you know, guys like Yusuf Demir who got his first mm-hmm. minutes today after not playing for a whole month. And the yeah. rumors are swirling that we're not going to activate his release, his like clause that buy him for 10 million euros. I've you been know, seeing Nico, that. Yeah, you were really high on that guy earlier in the summer. I remember. I mean, he just presents something that's interesting, but we also brought him in to be on the B team. And now we're playing him in the A team and not giving him minutes. doesn't make any sense. We'll talk about this again at another time. Um, and so I'll cut myself off here. But basically just um, I think the future is bright, but. And we'll find some similarities here with what we'll talk about today with United. 
it, it's not it's like we can have a bright future but if right now is is just absurdly terrible then why are we even thinking about that you know or like we have to reconcile find some common ground between them so yeah well i i have a lot more to ask you about with this but let's let's save it for the next one weekend so, wound up headline six i guess at this point six, yeah how, how many are there uh, just a couple more. We got weekend wound up number six. Uh, Tiger King will have a part two. The world is actually ending again. That's just the headline. We don't have to respond to that. I was just very surprised to see that. I thought that was uh, just this l- completely surreal experience that happened during quarantine where we watched. No. I, I don't even remember what happened in that show, but it was just like oh, I do watching sick. pure insanity for a week as the entire world <laughs> watched the same thing. And now it there's a great. second version. So. I'm I'm surprised they were able to crank a season two out of that. It seems pretty finished. Like what's going to happen? The, the blonde hit guy is going to be in jail mm-hmm. and he'll get out. I don't really know what's going to uh, happen. Maybe Carol Baskin will kill her husband again. Ah, that's right. I forgot about her. Well, yeah. maybe we'll have her on as a guest. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, we've, we've had a guest. Why not? That's another? True. And we will talk about that actually very shortly. Uh, weekend we? wound up. Yes, sir. Uh, number seven, more frantic finales. The world hangs on a nice edge as governing bodies seriously contemplate making five substitutes the permanent norm. Will, what do you think? Ah, uh, man. Like, I don't know. I, I just like don't really care that much, I guess. <laughs> I feel... That's like, nice I, and apathetic. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, mean I, I can see both angles is maybe a better way to put it. It's like... I understand players' point of view. Five subs is a good thing, right? It's 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 reduced injuries to some degree. It's a uh, you know maybe gives more people an opportunity to play. It's a good but, thing unless you're a star player that doesn't want to be substituted. Uh, yeah, but I mean that's you know I don't know if you're a star player who's not going to be substituted. I mean the the managers can choose to not use these substitutions. I think the bigger problem I've seen brought up, which is kind of in line with some general trends we've seen and a law change, is that I think this is something that's maybe more beneficial to bigger clubs with deeper benches and might harm smaller teams. Maybe something that, you know, has a seed less upsets in the cup run in the long run, maybe less exciting cup teams able to make a change. If, you know, clubs are able to just bring on half a team of full subs pretty much. And yeah, I I think that the, the argument there is pretty cogent. I think we will probably actually save this to be an entirely separate episode unto itself mm-hmm. once we hear more yeah, about yeah. it. Because yeah. there's a lot can... of tactical things that we can think about through the lens of if you have more players you can bring on, what can you do and how does that change the dynamics? Yeah, so that would be interesting because I I, uh, I wanted to talk about, you know, kind of the soccer that I know uh, over here in the States is yeah. unlimited subs, which is, you know, makes makes for a lot of differences as well. <laughs> so that might be an interesting no episode fitness. to compare. Yeah, well... <laughs> So, yeah all right weekend wound up headline number eight nine whatever it is um petulant soccer guys psg player suspiciously robbed by a prostitute in his own words quote unquote at a red light maybe the district which will earn no further comment from us weekend wound up uh headline number 10 i guess or something i don't know we're at some nine, large number yeah, nine Let's let's wind up this wound up, Martin. Let's wind it down. Let's wind down the wound up. Uh, are we still calling this a derby? Liverpool thrash Manchester United in 5-0 statement victory as Paul Pogba's efficient 15-minute in-and-out cameo marks yet another watershed moment that won't catalyze any change. Curtis Jones' bruised abdomen reporting live. 
Oh, do you do you want me to say something? Yeah, that's you. <laughs> this is on um, you. This is this is this is you know maybe you yeah. can introduce the topic for today and then we'll get into our yeah, second look, guys, surprise. You know, let's uh, you know, it, I I don't know if there's much I need to say. I think if <laughs> if you saw this game, if you're you know if you even saw the result, you know you're probably shocked, right? It's it's crazy, right? I I know United have had kind of a rough week. But still, I was, you know, half expecting them, you know, it's the kind of game where form goes out the window. I'm like, yeah, they might just still come out and beat us 3 nothing. I've got no idea. But no, I mean, I, and I'll, I'll explain in much greater detail, because as Martin kind of hinted, this will be the topic for the episode today. Is kind of looking at um, the slow collapse of United over the past decade that has probably culminated in, you know, what might be... I mean, I, I know this sounds like crazy to say, but I think you could make a legitimate argument. This is the worst game they've ever had. You know, it's certainly the worst one I can think of that they've ever had. And uh, just looking at where where they go from here, if there's anywhere they can go from here, if they even want to go anywhere. Maybe this is fine. Maybe this is what the new United wants to be. Maybe this result doesn't matter that much to them. But uh, we'll talk about all that and play more in the episode. But I think Martin has a very exciting announcement for us before we get into that. Yes. So <laughs> before we get into the meat and potatoes of today's episode, I indeed want to make a special announcement. We promised surprises, and this is surprise number two. So the Touchline Theory Soccer Podcast started back in April of this past year and has given two guys with plenty of opinions a chance to share them with the world. Over time, we felt lucky to see the show grow and reach broader, yet still tightly knit, as they say, audiences. We have a whopping 14 episodes, including this one, five very kind reviews. Will has accumulated a historic, albeit stagnant, 11 followers on Twitter. Really? We've even hosted a spectacular guest. We've talked about a loose goose, ventured deep into the math zone, fawned over the esteemed Sir Nathaniel Phillips, explored feline anatomy to William's chagrin, eaten Schrodinger's poisonberry, formed an alliance with the mighty gold Power Ranger, inadvertently heard my dishwasher or fan running in the background of far too many episodes, I apologize for that, stumbled through atrocious intro after atrocious intro, and talked about a bit of soccer too. So, what's next? How can we take this puppy to the next level? Like in football, we must move forward to stand still. We sat and we pondered. Beards were scratched, eyebrows furiously furrowed, and we've come up with this. Like any delusionally thriving startup business, folks, it is time for TT to sell out. Will and I spend a good amount of time constructing these episodes to explore what others don't and have a little fun too, so we felt it was the right moment to take a leap of faith and put ourselves out there. We cast a line, and to our genuine surprise, let's just say there were fish in the pond. Yeah, Today, not, a, not very big fish yet. Right? There's no, no Nike, <laughs> Coca-Cola sponsorship, but it, it's a company with a product that is maybe just as exciting. Yes, so today I am delighted to announce that we have got a handful, yes, that's right, a handful, of new partners helping support Touchline Theory. We'll be rolling them out slowly. So, without further ado... Wait wait your turn, guys. Here's a word from our sponsors. All right. 
Um, so they they sent me over a script to read. Um, so this this is my first time doing an ad read actually. So I am a little bit nervous. So bear with me. It might it not be perfect. Um, but I'm we're going to tell you about an app called uh, Hooligang that's going to you know maybe change the way you watch football. Um, so I'll start with the script now. Hooligang is an app that will change the way you watch football. We've attempted to bring the match day experience to fans around the world by connecting you with fellow supporters of your favorite club in real time. Hooligang uses digital technology to match you up with other fans over video chat during the games you're watching and supports both one-to-one -one calls and larger group meetups to help you customize your experience. Wow. So, yeah. Wow, indeed. Simply select your language and see who you meet on our randomized global servers or revisit past connections using our mates feature. Hooligang allows you to discuss tactics with armchair managers around the world, to enjoy a match with a new group of drinking buddies, to find a fellow fan that becomes a friend, or something more, all from the comfort of your own home. Stay tuned for our release early next month and get ready to find your Hooligang. So b before I go any further, there's a second half to this, but I just want to stop and say I, I really love this idea. I think, uh, you know, over here in the United States, like, Watching soccer can kind of be a lonely experience for me sometimes. Do you ever feel the same way, Martin? Yeah, very, very lonely, especially when you support my club. Yeah, well, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's good. And I know, I know that's maybe something that uh, our, our listeners across the pond can't relate to so much. But, right. you know, I, like with the, with the coronavirus and the lockout we've had, I think this is something that everyone, you know, even the, you know, most regular match-going supporters have had to experience is, you know, have maybe having to watch a game alone. I think this this idea of making it more connected and kind of bringing that match day experience to you is really neat. Um, yeah, but, I think it's just the next stage, right? I, mm -hmm. I, when I'm trying to watch TV with my friends or girlfriend, I mean, we use this, you know, these programs that let us watch Netflix or HBO together. That's kind of the new wave of, of things that's coming out now, right? People... Are doing a lot of things to connect online you see a lot of i mean the the dating scene has evolved tremendously over time it's only huh. you know it's Tell only time it. that you know that that football followed suit so i think it's uh -huh. a it's a very uh compelling idea and, and an opportune moment for the company to to put something out there and yeah. see you know and how it works you know, I know, I know there's some people at home and, you know, may, maybe even you too, Martin, are thinking, well, wait a second. I mean, this connects you with fans of your club, but that's, that's only half of the real match day experience, right? Right. Because you know, the other half is interacting with the fans of the other club. And I, yeah, I don't know. I hate, I don't I know hate, I hate echo chambers. I can't stand echo chambers whatsoever. Yeah. And I, have... I, I don't know. I don't know about you, Martin, but like, I'm, I'm like a bit of a masochist. Like I, I like surround myself with fans of teams that I hate. And I generally can't stand other Liverpool fans. I think I think you're kind of the same way. Yeah, we need mm -hmm. we need to make the hula gang more of a hula gang. You know what I'm saying? What's what's match day without a little bit of violence, a little bit of you know verbal taunting, mm -hmm. a little bit of of you know not being surrounded by your own kin. But you, you know the good thing, Martin, is the folks over at Hula Gang are thinking along those exact same lines. So I'm going to get back to the script now, all right? And I'll, oh. I'll tell you about in the second half. But wait, there's more. Those seeking a more combative experience can enter Dust Up, a ranked mode for adult users that pits you up against fans of rival clubs in an attempt to replicate the emotion of two sets of passionate supporters clashing at a stadium. Gloat as your star striker scores or mock the other team's mistakes as you attempt to earn banter points and climb the leaderboards by forcing your opponent to leave the call as quickly as possible. Yes. 
Dust Up strives to create an inclusive environment for those who want to put the hooligan in hooligang, and our remote interface ensures there are no physical repercussions for our users, giving even the weak and elderly an opportunity for verbal abuse that they might be hesitant to take at a live match. Use the code Touchline Theory. That's Touchline Theory <laughs> in the app for a free XP boost to kickstart your journey to ultra level and a chance to win a trip to your favorite club stadium to put your skills to the real test. Now, um, what is it? Experience all this and more on Hooligang. Coming Hooligang. soon iOS, Android, and the Nintendo Switch. <laughs> what an incredible first advertisement, man. I So I think... What's, why why'd awesome you laugh in the middle, Martin? I was doing no, 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 so well. And you I'm just sorry. This is me. very oh, serious no. matter. Um, <laughs> what's what's most interesting about this is that this is going to actually make, um, you know, do you remember the Nice Marseille game from a couple months ago when we had the episode yeah. about like whether life was better when no, there were no fans in the stadium? Now, yeah. regardless of your physical strength or your uh, debilitating shyness, you can throat punch a. Yeah. random person without actually having to throat punch them. And that's the beauty of Hooligang. It's that it's, you can it's not just building connections. It's saving lives. Exactly. I, I, don't, I, I don't think it's unfair to say that, right? So this, if you are stop a, lot a of fan violence. of saving lives, yeah. get ready to join yeah. Hooligang. Yeah. And you know, I, I think it's just like, it sounds like a fun time, right? Like I know if I could have been on dust-up mode during this Manchester United Liverpool oh, you'd, game, you'd be dusted I'd, up. I'd be killing it, right? I'd be halfway to ultra level already. You'd be dusting everybody up. So anyway, oh, it's very exciting, guys. Uh, yes, thank like you so said, much to our sponsors. It it should be the app is releasing um, sometime early next month, is what we were told. So keep an eye out for it, and who knows? Maybe you'll even run into us on uh, one of these Hooli Gang chats once in a while. So I hear also mm -hmm. that um, if you subscribe to the podcast, you will get a special uh, discounted offer where you'll get three. Um, you know this point system better than I do, Will. They got they get three free tokens uh, to to uh, subscribe to the podcast. I, I I don't know what you're talking about, but okay, <laughs> let's move on. That was that was our advertisement. It's alrighty. It's the pregame's over. This was this was the Touchline Theory pregame show presented by Hooligang. Now it's time to get into the content of the episode. Are you ready, Martin? Yes, sir. Here we go. Okay. It's it's content time. So anyway, Liverpool versus Manchester United. Uh, let's let's do a quick little match recap for for those of you who didn't watch it. Um, Let's let's start with some tactical analysis. How how the team shaped up, and you know what tactics they tried to employ throughout the match to break down their opponent. Liverpool went with a very aggressive, high pressing scheme. You know, with a uh, Roberto Firmino and Diogo Jota, especially you know just being being a nuisance or nuisances to the United defense. United as a whole completed eight pressures this match in the final third. Jota had seven by himself. Firmino ten. Is fantastic individual performance from each of them. But the best individual performance was Nabi Keita, the most important player on the field. You know, so much dynamism. He overran United's midfield by himself. He targeted the weak left side of their defense with Shaw and Maguire, who have not been in the best of form of late, and was heavily involved in each of the three, uh, first three goals. You know, defensively, 
Liverpool remained fairly solid. As always, they were a little bit susceptible to counterattacks against United. That's been a problem down the years. Marcus Rashford is someone who always is just able to find a lot of space against us for some reasons. But we recovered very well. Ibrahim Konate, and only his second start for the club in the league, did an incredible job. He was very mobile, moving around the field and covering Trent every time he went out of position. Spent a lot of time out on the right flank of our defense. And a great job. Allison as well. Fantastic performance. And the few chances United did get on the counters is he was able to smother it quickly. So that's that's kind of how Liverpool approached this game. Um, it, here's how United approached this game. Uh, all I wrote down was yikes. <laughs> yeah. Um, that probably suffices to did, say. Did, did um, they have a plan? It's it's hard to say. If so it was, it was probably just yikes. And, so. the, and the thing that's interesting, right, is I think every single news outlet, every journal, every podcast is talking about the same exact thing right now throughout the early portions of this week. Everybody was just asking these questions as to what happened. And we will touch upon those things Um will obviously watch this game in much greater detail than I did. I'm pretty sure in my stupor after the Classico, I, I, I watched a goal or two, but I just have kind of more sweeping statements about United yeah. in general. Um, but I think largely, you know, today what we're kind of interested in getting into alongside some of the like, you know, brass tacks from the game itself is just what, what are the takeaways from all of this, right? Like what are the, what is the significance yeah. of this? Because after so many successive beatdowns and so much disappointment, um, it's it's confusing. It's a disorienting experience to have a manager that um, never does enough to just get the boot, but will also never do enough to make anyone happy. And it's a bizarre conundrum. And it's kind of defined this cycle of what I'm calling this crippling mediocrity where, you know, he, he kind of got second last year, didn't they? But yeah. we're so far off from winning the league in terms of quality and in terms of consistency and product that it's like, what can you, what can you even possibly yeah. say? So we're going to try to sort it's, through it's some of these things with not much opportunity to turn into a first seemingly. Um, but yeah, we will, we will get much more into that and into Ole and how he has possibly survived this when it seems like, you know, certainly, you know, the the narrative immediately was post match is that okay he's got to go, is it? But he didn't go. He's the and, cockroach you know, in the apocalypse. Yeah, it sure seems like it. The apocalypse, so, the apocalypse is getting worse. But before we get into all that, I do yes, I do want to spend on. like a little bit more time talking about the actual match. Uh, of course, and just ta- talking about the goals. You you've seen all the goals now, haven't you? Uh, yes, one. a couple days ago, but you can refresh my memory. Tell me. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the first two goals were just like comically easy is, is how <laughs> I would describe them. Goals that, goals that you would not expect to get United against United, especially so early in the game. It was, yeah. uh, you know, I, I was, you know, left 15 minutes in wondering, wait, did that, did that really just happen? Right. Has the game started? It was a uh, high, high pressure for the first one, won the ball back, uh, ball through to Sala. And pretty much as soon as that ball was played, it was Luke Shaw against four Liverpool attackers. And there's there's a nice like still image of this where no United defenders besides him are in frame at all. <laughs> it's like a Renaissance so, painting. It, it's a bit strange. Um, not something you, you usually expect to see in, in that position of the field. Uh, I don't know where Maguire was. I don't really know where Lindelof was. Uh, Domine, <laughs> Fred, any of when those they call these guys magicians, they don't mean they, that they uh, yeah. do disappearing acts when they're yeah. most needed, do they? No, not at all. Well, that was really good. 
I, um, anyway, I think this, as a uh, brief go, comment go on, on that, I think it's just interesting. You mentioned the high pressure. We're going to talk a little bit about United's pressing or lack thereof, which again, everybody has been hammering on about. But one thing that I found really interesting when watching little snippets of this game too, and what I've seen United in general is that um, they have a lot of difficulty finding their midfielders out of buildup. And it doesn't surprise mm-hmm. me at all that the first goal came from pressing them high and which is you know, a turnover in those circumstances is inevitably the product of being unable to progress the ball on their behalf, right? Yeah, and, and it's just, it's terrible communication too. I mean, if you look at where the players are positioned for that second goal, there, there's clearly not much organization um, yeah. going on there. And bad communication is kind of at the heart of the second goal as well. It was a, it was a cross okay. from Robertson into midfield and it pretty much landed like right in between McGuire and Shaw and somehow neither of them got it, bounced out to Keita little ball out to the wing and uh, Trent crossed it in for Jota to score. Also just looked, looked very, very easy. It was just uh, a cool. And typically moments where these goals just kind of roll in, like I said, they tend to be watershed moments. You know, the 8-2 was a total uh, decomposition of a Barcelona side that had had structural problems for many years and was finally exposed in the most embarrassing fa- fashions, right? They walked yeah. in those goals. But and, this, but but the question is just like, all of this happens, and you think, okay, those first two goals, pretty ludicrous. United are going to get it together. They're kind of more well known for like being able to go into the locker room, for instance. And I know we're only yeah. whatever 15, 20 minutes into the game, yeah. and but and but they have this ability to like turn games around. But that yeah. just doesn't happen, does it? I mean, we we saw it. We saw it. Like earlier that week against Atlanta, it was the exact same. They they conceded two goals very very early, or at least one of the goals was very early to Atlanta. Went into halftime two 0 down, rallied one three two. Ole said it was a great performance or or whatever he said. I don't and know United, what what like potions he's giving these players yeah. in the locker room, but you but expect United, them to United, come. United did also rally after the second goal. They were okay. much better. Tell for, me about it for, for the next twenty minutes in the second half. They started actually having possession near areas. This is when. Probably uh, two two of their three best chances in the match came was during this period, and it was a uh, you know I was I was not like worried, but it did look like it was actually going to be a fight. You know, Liverpool would also come off their own uh, dramatic European game where they went two 0 up to Atletico Madrid, uh, conceded two goals very quickly uh, before the end of the first half, and you know, part of me was thinking like this this could happen again, right? United were still clearly in the game at that point, but. Mm-hmm. That all changed. 39th minute, um, I believe. Another another good spell of high pressure. Ball just like bounces off Sala. Like luckily, Nabi Keita is in like a mile of space by himself on the right flank. He's just drifted out there very stealthily. No one's picked him up. Ball just rolls out to him. Simple ball across the box. Sala tap in. Easy goal. Again, very, very easy goal. And when that, you make it when you make it so easy for the opponent, again, that's the thing that really, really hammers home the embarrassing nature of it all. Because if the other team is really working hard, right? Yeah. If a team works as hard as they possibly can and they they you know they go into the half one nothing, the the nice thing that you can say as a coach in the locker room is like they're at their highest level and they've only been able to put one past us. We're playing terribly. Yeah. If we can raise our level, then you know we've seen the best they can do. What can we do now? But yeah. but here it's like. When you're when they're so casually dismantling them, I mean, these, when these you, all look like goals you would see like in in like a warm up drill in training, and that's that's not an exaggeration. They didn't look like goals you'd see in a real soccer game, especially not one of this magnitude. And the challenge too is when when a team is firing on all cylinders like this, 
everybody becomes a just total deer in the headlights. You know, one, one thing that I've wanted to write about on TT or maybe even having a podcast episode about for months is like, how do you actually pump the brakes in situations where you feel like you are slipping like this? And yeah. it's very difficult, but it's, it's tough when yeah. you have players in this team that are, there's so many superstars in this United team and everybody shirks away from the moment that need that they need to rally each other. And it's, it's just an indication of the, uh, you know, the painful individuality that is, that is so prominently evident within the team. There isn't, doesn't seem to be a figure who, you know, I think it was Marco Rosa who, who's had a quote recently who said in the, in the wake of Dortmund's whatever five, six, one loss to Ajax in the champions league, some ridiculous score. Yeah, I was watching a lot, that game. A lot of big scores recently. Huh? I was watching year, it up, I guess. up until a certain point. And then I was like, I don't even want to watch this anymore. Yeah. He said something like, I want a player like Kimmich in my team who will react when we start going down. Like Kimmich is the type of guy that's going to lay into his players, but he's going to start doing the simple things. Well, he's going to have, he's going to go into a match and say, you know what? Here are the things that I can do when I'm having a good game. When I'm having a poor game, here are the things that I'm going to do at a minimum. And when the poor game comes, at least he can resort to the things that he's practiced and mentally has prepared himself to at least meet a certain bar here. It's like, you might have a bad game and suddenly everyone, everyone just forgets all the basics the, the the pressing is embarrassingly shoddy. Again, we'll get into this. And yeah. it's like at this level, you have to be able to have cognitive contingency plans where if things start going crazy like they did in this match, where first half you're down three to your biggest rival, you have to be able to pull it together. You can't so consistently just let the rubble just, you know, yeah. dislodge I, I, from under your feet. I completely agree with your overall point. Um, I will say today is probably not the best day to use uh, Joshua Kimmich as an example of a player who can help you avoid a 5-0 defeat. Um, That's but, fair. But, you know, in, in general, I, I do agree with where you're coming from. Um, but getting back to the match, I mean, you know, Liverpool were up 3-0. I think, you know, the, the game seemed pretty over uh, at, to some extent with that. But I think the, the moment where it was very clear that this match was over as a contest... Uh, actually not one of the goals it was uh, i think my favorite moment of this match probably martin's favorite moment as well um <laughs> give me your personal history but uh ronaldo fed through on goal allison comes out blocks his chip shot uh, curtis jones gets the rebound before him and shields it off and ronaldo just like kicks curtis jones in the chest and then kicks the ball into his chest when he's on the ground uh seemingly for no reason it's also not a kick it is a full-blown power power punch of a of a kick i don't even yeah. know he it's, there was some legitimate aggression in that um i don't i don't think ronaldo and curtis jones know each other particularly well probably um, not. it's hard it's hard to imagine why they would so it, it's it's just it was a you know show of frustration from ronaldo it was a sign that like man i'm really not enjoying this game today jeez <laughs> i mean he also had a goal i think that was called off sides at some that point was, that too, was after that, that but we'll, was we'll talk about that too a, um, another example again of just like the mounting frustration for him here's here's what i'll say um i don't like ronaldo uh, no barcelona fan does i'm not gonna let my biases seep into this or at least i'll try not to the thing that i thought about this when i watched i went through kind of like the five stages of laughing you know where it's yeah. like I don't even, I didn't even prepare this beforehand. I, you know, but it's just like you start off thinking that it's just totally comical. Then you look at it and it's, you keep laughing and uh, there's, I don't know, there's other stages, but the final stage is just like, wow, that is just, this is just such an embarrassing experience for you as a 
grown adult guy, veteran of the sport, legend of the game. I will admit it. He's an excellent player. He's maybe not as good now as he once was. But that's the case for a lot of people. I, this is just gotta be, and he's not the type of person to probably even feel that type of embarrassment, but this is just such a terrible look for the guy that was brought in under the guise of being a role model for the locker room. I, I you've we've great. all we've all seen players take out their frustration or throw a water bottle when they get subbed off in, in a big moment, and even those little tiny petulant acts are always shamed in in the media and the locker. Like you can't have that. I, I don't. This, I don't. This I don't is, mind that actually. That but much. This, but is, this, this is this is this is different. Yeah. This is this a completely is. different because it's like again, it's like what if Curtis Jones breaks a rib when this happens, which is entirely yeah. possible given you know the aggression and like. It, it's it's this is like I mean I don't know this is like worse than Zidane headbutting Matarazzi. Like he's on the ground, he yeah. kicks him in the chest. I get there's a ball there. It's not a red card, which don't get me started again. And here my biases are seeping in. I'm getting worked up but oh, i think it, it's just it's a hundred percent a red card i'm still like, shocked it wasn't given it's text it's just like how are you how are you a professional doing that that's joey barton stuff you're cristiano mm -hmm. ronaldo man like you hold yourself to a very high standard you, the yeah. game is terrible yes but then maybe just don't throw a fit when you get subbed off and just get off the field and and, and don't take part in it like i'm sure cavani would have been a compelling substitute for him in this match like it's just well, cavani, it's like, cavani did come on so Mr. Ronaldo didn't go off, but yeah. I heard Cavani came on and played basically center mid. <laughs> Pretty much. He, he got a few touches at least, so good for I'm him. I'm just saying, like, it's just one of those things where, like, this guy is just, you you can't let yourself do that. And the problem, you know, I don't want to put the cart ahead of the horse, but it's like, what is Ali going to tell him? He's not going to tell him anything. There's no, going to be no conversation about that behavior. When, you know, <laughs> we talked about, Greg Berthalter having to deal with Weston McKinney and that being a disciplinary thing that was off the field, but it was something they had to be taken care of. And there were optics at play and he's a star player for the U S men's national team. And they had to handle it in the right manner and make sure that he earned trust back in the team. Is Ronaldo going to have to earn trust in his teammates when half of them play on the youth national team setups in it for England with Curtis Jones, who's like what 18 years old now, 19. Yeah. Something like that. How are you? It's like, how are you picking? Is this like when little, you know, teenagers get in fights with grown people on Twitter and they're like, haha, you're mad. You're mad at a kid. Like, yeah, that's what this I, was. I think uh, Van Dyke and Konate pretty quickly came over and gave them the, you know, pick, pick on someone your own size message uh, or maybe, you know, within 15 years of your own age, at least. Just absurd. But, um, yeah, well, you said he anyway. was brought in to act as a role model, and it, you know he was, for better or worse, because this was the start of a period where United really should have had multiple players sent off. Um, we already mentioned the Ronaldo one was given as a yellow. It pro probably should have been a red, and actually definitely should have been a red. Um, Fred, a few minutes later, uh, kick, kicked to the face against Nabi Keita. He, ah. he did pull out of it a little bit. I can see why it's a yellow, but I could also have seen it being given as a red. Bruno didn't, Fernandez, right didn't after Griezmann. Griezmann did like the same thing earlier in the week to you guys and got sent off in the Champions League, didn't yep. he? He same was thing. he wasn't he didn't see the was, player coming, but the foot was, hit the face. No, it was a bit different because Griez, Griezmann did you know he didn't see the player, but he did go in full power. Fred, you know, did see the player and tried to pull out, but didn't do it quite in time. Um, again, like I I can see it being given as a yellow. Uh, the Ronaldo one, I can't. The Bruno Fernandez had a pretty nasty studs up tackle, and I think Milner. Uh, right after halftime, given as a yellow again, could could have seen it as a red, you know, yeah. questionable. Take it out uh, on the boring guy. 
Yeah, and and during this period, you know, United had clearly collapsed in terms of making all these, you know, kind of rash rash tackles. You know, tackles you are used to seeing in a derby like this, I suppose. Um, but they they also collapsed at the back, and they shipped two more goals during this period. Uh, both again, you know, just just losing the ball in a bad area and quickly being punished by Liverpool's attack, who were just given way too much space. Mo Salah scored both these goals, probably. Well, maybe the most dangerous attacker in the world right now, someone that absolutely has to be marked at all times and someone who is, you know, 10 yards away from being marked on either of these two goals. Mm. You know, it's, it's, it's concerning. It, it wonders, you know, if there was any instruction being given, that probably would have been the first thing they, they would have <laughs> talked about. Make right? sure to give their best player as much space as possible. It's, it's spooky. So two, two more goals, and then, you know, United's rash challenges finally caught up with them. Pogba was finally the one to get a red card just 15 minutes after coming on. He was, he was truly horrendous in this match. He, he gave the ball away for the fifth goal. Um, you can watch a highlight clip of his performance. It's, it's, if you're a Liverpool fan, it's wonderful. Um, <laughs> oh, but, my gosh. And then this, that was the end. That was the end of the game. This is perhaps, you know, even with the five goals and being 4-0 up at halftime and Mo Salah scoring a hat trick, this is possibly the most humiliating aspect of this game. Is Liverpool just stopped trying after the red card? And it's like, ah, eh, good enough. That's something I have never seen in a derby of this magnitude. Ever. Am I, do you think it's, it's something I might never see again? Like, like you know, pumps the brakes a little bit to avoid just like... You know, maybe he maybe he was very aware of the fact that like if he did too much more, Ollie would get fired. But you know, he was enjoying it so much, he was like, maybe we leave it at five. I don't know. I I don't <laughs> think that's part of it. I can't I think, be. You know, this is this is a more humiliating look for Ollie than mm. losing six or seven to nil would have been. Um, and this is not. I'm not saying this is not like a pump of the brakes a little bit. This is like full on. Okay, we're passing it around the back for the next thirty minutes of this game, and you are not going to stop us. And they did just. Which is honestly a hilarious taunt, again, given their shambolic efforts at trying to dispossess Liverpool high up the field. Um, yeah, which maybe we can segue into. Let's let's do it. Yeah, um, let's let's go with some takeaways from this match. Uh, first, I just want to like, as we've kind of hinted, this is going to be largely on the United side. So I just want to get like a couple takeaways for Liverpool out of the way. Uh, best team in the world right now. Only undefeated team left in Europe. It's pretty good. Yeah, I mean they're in the conversation. Yeah, I I I can't say no to that. I mean, I yeah. I I notoriously predicted in our again our group chat that we keep referencing um, that I thought Liverpool was going to win the league this year. Everybody was saying Chelsea. Everybody was saying City. I'm a City fan. I, I was saying Chelsea and City. I'm very and, surprised by how good we've looked. To be and honest. I was like, you know what? I think Liverpool have something to say, and so I stand by that statement. I'm sure you have the screenshot somewhere. Yeah, you always are wielding all of my hot take screenshots to pull up at the wrong moments. Maybe finally I'll have something that's good. Well, I, I, I don't show you the ones you're right about. <laughs> I think um, selective memory. I think the thing about Liverpool that is compelling is that they have a coach that can compete tactically, a coach that people respect, a guy that is clearly formed a culture around the team of excellence. And there are no visible holes in the squad realistically as far as i'm concerned you could maybe mm, argue that not striker this not this season you could argue long, that strikers are problem there are some holes but right now our squad is excellent firmino played well in this game didn't he firmino has been very very good all season he's had so, a resurgence mane has been you know maybe not as much of a resurgence yeah but yata played well but i'd say i'd say the biggest difference um from this season to last season 
it actually, you know, we had a lot of people talking about our defense last season. We had a lot of people talking about our forwards last season. It's kind of the two areas that were underperforming. But, you know, the real area where we've bounced back is in midfield. Our contribution from midfield this year has been fantastic. It's really helped to give the forwards more space. We've had more runners. Nabi Keita in particular, when he has been playing, Ugh. excellent. His best, his best start to a season for us so I'm, far. I really to, hope had to see him injured. It, it, yeah. doesn't, it doesn't look like it's too serious. So I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. This is, this is kind of a crazy stat. Liverpool already have as many goal contributions from midfielders this season as they did the entirety of last season. Who anchored you guys in midfield last season? It was Thiago. Has Thiago played all that much for you guys this year? Thiago is not. He's he's been injured, but even at the start of the season, he was not playing very much. Uh, Harvey Elliott was being picked over him. I think Curtis right. Jones was also being picked over him. I mean, yeah, interesting players. I, I think I think when we talk about bringing it back to the takeaways, like when we talk about best team in the world, I don't think you can really argue against it. I mean, Bayern are up there, uh, City are up there. It's yeah. probably those three. I know I said that PSG were like hands down going to win the Champions League. Man, am I? Uh, that's a screenshot you'll bring I, up later. I told you as much at the time, Martin. But yeah. I, but like, yeah, I mean, they are setting an example. They are ripping into teams. They are beating some of the best. I mean, in one week, they've taken down Atletico and Man United. I don't even know if we can call two, United the two teams. I am like generally the most scared to play of any yeah. teams because like yeah. United United always in the past have, have done quite well against us, regardless of how they're doing. Atleti are a team that I think are pretty much designed to be difficult for us to play against. You know, Simeone's right. style matches up almost perfectly against Klopp's, in my opinion. And it's always a match I'm terrified. I always uh, am a little upset when I see them on our European schedule. But, you know, <laughs> all right. Well, that's enough Liverpool. Who cares about them? Let's, let's move on to the fun. Uh, tearing apart United. So I think you you've kind of hinted at this, but one of the main things uh, that has been cited as a reason for this loss is Ronaldo not pressing enough. Um, mm. Which like it's it's Ronaldo, guys. Like where where have you been? He he hasn't pressed in a long time. That's not really what he does. Right. I, so without getting too detailed, um, there are some just basic fundamentals of pressing that. United very, very prominently displayed that they have no perception of whatsoever in this match. And I'm going to list them off quickly because they could probably each and of themselves be episodes of their own. But a couple of quick things. One, having one player press is worse than having no players press. That is just a fundamental theory. If you have one player that is going to press in a defensive line, let's say you have a back four with sixes that are dropping deep, let's say one or two of them, depending on which of the triple eights of Liverpool is pulling back or if Fabinho is there or whatever. You have to be really dumb to anticipate that that one player who is abysmal at defending and has no defensive instincts is going to be able to nick the ball off a guy that has five wide open options. And yeah. when you do that and when it inevitably happens, you have now taken one of your players out of the game. with, And you're wasting energy absolutely no foresight whatsoever. So that's, that's bad. Um, it's also bad because of the idea of this metaphor when it comes to pressing that I talked about in the recent piece. Um, and I also generally in the past on the podcast, I think too, when it comes to pressing the blanket analogy, I talked about this in the uh, half space yeah. King. I was piece. about to bring that up. Yeah. So the thing about the blanket, right? The blanket concept is like, okay, when, as a defender or as a defensive unit in soccer, 
the, the big challenge, right, is like everybody will say this, is that you want to condense space, right? When you're attacking, you tend to want to be more expansive because people enjoy having time on the ball. They enjoy having space and not being pressured by people with great immediacy. So when you are defending what you want to condense the space, you want to take all of your individual units and bring them closer together. You increase the density of regions. But the challenge when that happens is that you end up with what is basically a small blanket that can't cover the entire field, right? So the analogy is like, imagine if you're a person in a log cabin up in Minnesota um, and it's freezing out and you realize that all you've packed are, besides your pajamas is a tiny blanket and you want to be warm. So the blanket sounds tough. The blanket either goes on your feet, on your knees, it goes maybe down towards your leg area. It either goes in the center where it leaves both your feet and your head cold, or you just put your upper body under the blanket and your feet are cold. The, 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 the analogy basically says like the blanket inherently cannot cover everything because if I tug and tug and I want to cover the entire body with this tiny blanket, it's going to tear right down the middle. And, and that is precisely what happened with United and what clearly they have again represented over the course of time because the the weird thing about them in this game from a pressing standpoint is like when you play Liverpool and you can tell me whether teams do this against you or not when I look at that team and I do my one second opposition analysis I see a center back in Van Dyke that can distribute long as well as Trent and as well as Robertson who have very good feet for playing long balls that can switch the play or drive progressive balls and I see very very fast attacking line and I don't necessarily see distributors, pure distributors in the midfield, right? Yeah. So when that happens, my first instinct is, <clears throat> I can't play a, back, a high back line against this team. Because if I play a high back line against Liverpool, they're going to pump balls over me. And my center backs aren't going to be as quick or agile as Salah. They're not going to have be able to you know, turn and pivot when they take these insanely deft touches. Mane, yeah. Firmino, all these, Yata. So... You kind of have to creep back a little bit. You have to kind of concede. You can't make your line of confrontation so high where your just entire team is just darting forward because you leave too much space in behind and they thrive in those counterattacking situations. Now, yep. when that happens, you're, then you're, you're completely say, right. Yeah. When, when, yeah, when that happens, you're like, okay, so then maybe we pull back. But when you pull back, you cannot have Ronaldo standing, doing nothing very high up the field because you tear the blanket and not only is he useless but he makes other people useless because what happens when ronaldo is high like that and let's say you guys build out of who who started in the midfield nabby henderson and uh milner yeah fabinho injured so let's say hypothetically you find henderson because ronaldo's not doing anything right now what happens who's the first person to jump up and and press on henderson it's going to be bruno fernandez who's the next line of defense in theory if we can even call it that and when, when Bruno jumps there, now what do you have? Well, what is your formation, your pseudo formation when this occurs? Uh, like 4-2-4, four, 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 pretty much. It's a 4-2-4. Four, with, four. with McTominay and Fred as the two. And so nice. when you have a 4-2-4 four, four and your front four are compromised by the fact that not only is Ronaldo's pressing bad inherently, but it causes other people to pull themselves out of positions and weaken deeper areas of the field where you are already outnumbered, right? When you play a team like Liverpool that has a false nine striker like Firmino that or Firmino that, that pulls back and overloads the midfield, how are you even going to survive with two midfielders, let alone if your other center attacking mid darts forward to be a second striker to press because your actual striker 
isn't pressing. And regardless, right? Mind you, when you have a front four, one pass takes out four players. Yeah. And when you have progressive fullbacks like Trent and Robertson, right? Let's say you have two yeah. center backs and they can play thread balls in through this line of four. You've taken four players out of the game. You are overloading the opponent every single time by significant margins. It's not just a 2v1. It's like yep. significant numbers up in every single attacking sequence. And the problem, the biggest problem out of all this, right? Is like, okay, if you're going to put four players up top and you're going to press high and press hard energetically with coordination and with, you know, responding to every trigger that you've practiced in training, right? A pressing trigger is a little moment or a behavior that basically yeah. signals to everybody to jump, to leap, to, to attack the ball, right? Yeah, and often this, maybe... this will be like a player in specific. It's like once a certain player starts pressing, that is the signal for a team to press. I think Adam Lalana actually played that role for Klopp's teams uh, in the past when he was still at Liverpool. So it can be players on your own team. It can be behaviors of the opponent, right? If somebody yeah. takes, if somebody passes a ball to another player, like a center back, and it goes to the wrong foot, that can be a trigger where everybody steps. Yeah. We all step because they're going to have to take an extra touch. They're going to have to turn. We can get there in time, right? Sometimes there's discussion yeah. about how you should only press as soon as the pass is made. If you press too early, they won't make the pass. If you press too late, they're already around you. But if you press right when the pass is hit, all the time that the ball spends getting there also is time that you spend crowding the space and so time. All... You can't really be punished for it because exactly. no one has the ball. Right. And that's so... uh, that's often, I mean, for, for my team, I, I say backwards pass is generally the yep. pressing trigger to look for. It's very that's simple. Another one. But, you know, maybe it wouldn't a... hold up at the highest level, but for you, 14 soccer, it's, it's just <laughs> it can be a backwards touch. There's a lot of things mm. that can happen, but the, the thing about this front four is that they do not know what they're doing. No. And so you are, and it's like, if you, if you don't know what you're doing, here's what I'll say. If you don't know what you're doing, screw it. Yeah. Hunker down. And play honestly, a, play a, against, play a against four. Liverpool, even if you do know what you're doing, screw it. Hunker down. Right? <laughs> play a, you're play completely a four, right. six, play a yeah. four, five, one, leave Ronaldo ahead. But, but why, why are you throwing so many defensive units up, up ahead? And the thing is, here's my last comment I'm pressing, right? It's, you know, it's kind of like Fabian Delph. It's the basics of football, right? Like, it's like the idea that, you, sorry, uh, you're grimacing at the accent. I don't know how to make a Fabian Delph accent. The basics. But basically, it's like one of the critical things that I talk about. Another piece, if anybody is listening to this and interested, uncovering the cover shadow, right? Cover shadow is a concept that is used a lot in, it's, you know, in modern parlance. It's this idea that you can, you know, if you imagine the ball as a sun that is casting light on to every defensive player, there's a shadow that effectively is cast behind each of those players. And that shadow is kind of like an area, a gray, dark area that they can mark out given their positioning. And so one way that you can defend is not necessarily marking the target of a pass or marking the passer itself, but you can mark the space in between, right? And so you can use your cover shadow in a way where you are kind of monitoring your blind spot and positioning yourself to just cut out passes, right? Yeah. When you are pressing, let's say you have Shaw who passes a ball to Varane or Maguire, whoever's the left side. I think it's Maguire. Maguire. Varane's right? injured, so yeah. So Lindelof, right. So Shaw plays a ball to, again, let's say whatever center back it is. Who is playing right wing in this game for United? Greenwood. Greenwood. So Greenwood... 
based on what everybody has heard about the pressing like mechanics of this team, apparently what Ali tells the guys, first off, they don't really press all that much, but he went into the game and told them that they should press, which is always a really, really nice concoction when you're going into playing one of the best teams in the world that's your fierce rival. But the, the theory behind it, from what I've heard and what I've read online, is that he tells players that you he's trying to do this insanely primitive version of Gagan pressing which is what Liverpool have mastered, but know how to execute, where his directions to the United side are, we want one player to charge the ball, that's the closest player to the ball, and everybody else will reset on defense. And that's a very, very rudimentary kind of approach to gegenpressing, which is this idea of it's countering so, the so counter. rudimentary, it's almost not even gegenpressing. <laughs> yeah, like it's gegenpressing is more defined as yeah, we talk about this. We talked about this too, like countering the counterattack. So you might throw a player at, a, at the at you know the first guy that's receiving the pass, who will start the counter, so that you discombobulate them. You don't give them a free outlet ball, things like that, right? But this is so stupid because the problem, as I mentioned, with the cover shadow is, let's say Shaw passes it to Lindelof or Maguire. When I'm Greenwood and I'm darting from the right hand side and I'm the closest player to the ball. What he does and what everybody else does in this game, Bruno does it, Ronaldo does it, is they dart, they do a beeline right for the ball. They're fixated on the ball like a yep. kid with a carrot stick dragged in front of them, yeah. right? Like, Gotta curve those runs, man. You have to mark out the return ball to the player that just played it, right? So imagine if, again, like if, if Greenwood is darting right for the center rack, now you just play Shaw again. And when you've done that, guess what you've done? You've bypassed you've, Greenwood. You've mixed up your teams here, Martin. Uh, Maguire, Shaw, and Greenwood all, all play oh. for United. Oh, I'm being an idiot. Yeah. Sorry. So I'm Van Dyke and Robertson. Yes. Sure. Jesus. Yes. Thank you, you. you. Wow. It took us a long time to catch that. Um, I, yeah. I was, you know, just quietly a little confused. But I, Rob- I almost always am when you're talking. So <laughs> I just chalked it off as nothing. Rob- Sometimes I confuse myself. So... Robertson plays a ball. Who's your left center back? Van Dyke. Van Dyke. Just... Robertson plays a ball to Van Dyke. Greenwood goes straight towards Van Dyke. Van Dyke can play it back to Robertson. Greenwood is yeah. gone. It's a non-factor. It can't be that easy to defeat your press. When you are running from point A to point B, what Greenwood needs to do is he needs to step using his cover shadow between those two players so that at least, at least Van Dyke needs to find someone else than the low-hanging fruit that is the player that just gave him the ball. And yeah. so when you have guys that are demonstrating such ineptitude when it comes to the basics of pressing, it's like, yeah, I mean, what do you, what, like you said, a long-winded, you know, foray into pressing tactics here, very, very high level in any case still, but like, what do you expect is going to happen? They look terrible. It doesn't yeah. even make any sense. How are you no. in the Premier League doing those things, those behaviors? Yeah. It doesn't and, make any sense. And like I kind of said, re- regardless of how well it's executed, a, a high press against Liverpool is just generally not a good idea. Teams that are successful against us tend to play fairly low blocks, tend to have a line of confrontation for the press, you know, around midfield at, at the most, or maybe even further back if they're being a bit more... Uh, bit more cautious but yeah i mean this this was you know the the tactics of a man who maybe has not watched liverpool play very much uh which i don't know that that's maybe not a good sign and i mean i i think it it's scary i mean i like i firmly believe like you know these manchester united are practicing all week right like ole is not just telling them like hey go out there and run after the ball and try your best but like on the spectrum of professional soccer coaches, he does seem to be a lot closer to that approach 
than than pretty much anyone else. Like it's it's at least plausible that that's what he's doing. And that's kind of terrifying if you're a United fan where it's just, you know, I will we'll talk more about this in the second half, which which we should probably get to pretty soon here. Speaking of pressing, uh, the time is a little bit pressing. Um, but it's just like, what, what was I just saying? You were talking about Ollie, and I, and I agree. There was, a, I think, an interview that he did a while back uh, talking about how on the spectrum of, you know, com- tactical acumen to uh, baseline preschool instructor. Like, the thing, the thing about him is I think he had some famous quote, and this is kind of what he espouses generally, where he was like, guys, like, football is a simple game. Yeah. And when you say football is a simple game too many times, people start to ask the question as to do you understand its intricacies at all? Because he 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 kind of swats his swats away, waves his hand at the nuances, the purported nuances, like this idea of, I don't know, coordinating your pressing in a better way than just sending a guy to go kill himself on a kamikaze flight straight towards the ball. Yeah. Those aren't those aren't the things that you can ignore at the highest level. No, you can it's... have a simple game model with principles that are grounding, no. that are about you know accountability. That's a simple idea, respect. But you can't at uh, with this chair, like that he has, like, the throne that he sits on. When you say football is a simple game, I think it raises eyebrows as to like, yeah, and it's clear that you. That's probably more. Um, no. You and not you, understanding a lot, then you understanding so much that you've profoundly arisen. I mean, you, at this you know conclusion. what that's from? Uh, that's from Alex Ferguson. Alex Ferguson always said the same kind of thing. He said but he always said football is a simple game. However, vastly different on the opposite ends of the spectrum, which again is fascinating. I, I would like, not say they're opposite ends of the spectrum. I believe Alex Ferguson was someone who you know maybe did put a lot less focus on tactics than any of the mon- modern managers we're seeing nowadays, and he hmm. he built his. Right, you know, excellent recruitment, excellent player development, and you know, being probably the best man manager of all time. Yeah, that's right? true. That's but, a good you know, point. For Ole, someone someone who, you know, was part of that and had some great years in that. You know, of course, you're gonna buy into what Alex says. You're gonna say, Oh, football's a simple game. You know, maybe it was. You know, I, I'm not I'm not saying that it, you know, that I'm not trying to be like one of these tactics were invented in two thousand ten people, but like it's it's come a long way. Man, and stuff, some kind of tactical uh, oversights you might have been able to get away with in the 90s are now things that are just like common knowledge, right? You know, the age of information is here. People people are sharing these ideas a lot faster. There's a lot there's a lot more tactical nuance in the game now. And maybe well, always maybe always just in the wrong time. Maybe, you know, 30 years ago, he's, he's doing a lot better than he is now. Maybe football is simpler. I mean, I think... Then. And, and yeah, and I, I also I also wouldn't depart too much from the idea that football is simple. I think that football is a very simple thing. But the problem is like this idea, right? I've seen this. Have you ever heard of like the I don't know, like this the graph that shows the differences between the beginner, the amateur, and the like true expert or something? Have you seen these? Sure. Yeah. It's it's like the this idea is basically like the beginner, like thinks they know nothing and it's because they know nothing right the amateur so thinks they know everything and, and but they actually, they actually know nothing know and nothing the ex- and then the expert knows that they know nothing because they are an expert like you, you get kind of where i'm going yeah. with this like yeah. it's almost like when you're pep or klopp or zidane or tuchel or me 
or you, you can you can afford to say that football is simple because we all have an understanding that you can appreciate its complexities. Yeah, but when you're like Ale, fo- football is simple given you already know all of this stuff that I already know. When when you're Ale, you end up falling on the left-hand side of that parabola. You're not even at the amateur stage where like, you know, you really think you know a lot, which is also pretty diseased mentality. Like when, you know, when somebody is out there saying, thinking that they know the answers to everything and you have entitled coaches like that everywhere. But Ollie kind of looks more like the guy who's like, football is simple because he, that's his worldview. Like he's almost like a big, like, you know, his think about his rise to prominence as a coach. He went from Molda, which is a great Academy to Cardiff to man United. Yeah. That's a quick, that's a, that's a fast, fast track. And it kind of almost makes me wonder, is Ole the right man for this job? (laughs) I don't know. I I don't mean to, to, you know, to keep piling on, but these are, I don't know. These are my thoughts. Like I, I I just feel as though he does not inspire confidence in terms of the intellectual side of the game that I think can be overstated by corners of, you know, the, the media, if you will, like people like ourselves like to think about it. And that's kind of all we do. We don't play coach at a reasonably low level, all things considered, like we can afford to over intellectualize things and think about these Mm. questions and ponder them. And I got nothing else to do and record a podcast about it. But you also, when you're at the other end of the spectrum, I, I, you know, he goes too far. Anyway, carry on. Yeah. You had things to talk about with regards to, I don't know, defense, midfield, Jaden Sancho. Yeah, and uh, we'll we'll just go through this real quick. Um, defensive midfield is probably the one area of the United squad that I would actually say they do not have good players. You know, Fred, Fred and McTominay are both fine. Um. It probably one of them could get along uh, alongside of a true elite defensive midfielder, but playing both of them together is not working. It's it's not providing enough cover for all these attackers with, you know, besides Bruno Fernandez, who put in very little defensive work to fit in the same team. And, you know, I think that's the one area. But besides that, you know, this this United squad is excellent. They they have incredible players pretty much all over the field. Harry Harry Maguire. He's had the worst week of his career. He's like coming back from an injury and rushed it because Varane is out and like Phil Jones is their next best option or something. No, he's been awful, but he's, he's generally an excellent defender. Rafa Varane, uh, Victor Lindelof, great players. Luke Shaw, Aaron Wambasaka, great. Right. You know, they've, they've got, I don't, I don't need to mention the forwards they've got in their front line. Like you said, Jaden Sancho, you know, one of the hottest talents in the world. And he, he can't even get a game for them because they have such a wealth of options. It's not, it's not like he, you know, is deserving to play in, isn't it? It's that Mason Greenwood, you know, is just outperforming him right now. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk about maybe, you know, should there be more of an effort to fit Sancho in and why exactly he's not working. But it just it shows the strength of the squad that a player like that is not even coming on against Liverpool. I mean, you can even look at their goalkeeping situation. Like, De Gea's <laughs> had his ups and downs, but he's a top, he's a good goalkeeper. And Dean great. Henderson is probably going to be the England number one in a couple yeah, of years. He's, he's I mean, Dean Henderson is the best backup goalkeeper in the league. I think maybe no. So they're not short of options, but the question no. is, and it's it's interesting because the the narrative around United uh, post Alex Ferguson, um, Sir Alex Ferguson, sorry, sir, um, <laughs> has been that you know they they just like didn't have a very good squad, and I I agree with that. I think you know when 
Ferguson's last year, he did not leave them with a very good squad. It was aging, had a lot of holes in it, and kind of I've I've excused a lot of the managerial failures uh, that you and I have had with a uh, you know Moyes and Van Hall and Mourinho. It's like, well, well, yeah, it's like this this team is just is not that good. Like you know, there's only so much they can do, and it it would it would have been a tough situation anyway, even with a good team. And this is this is just killing it. But now it, that's completely flipped. And now United, you know, they've they've made signings. They have signed some very, very good players. A lot of very good players in the past couple of years, especially under Ole. Now they have, I mean, you know, one of the best squads in the world. They have way too many good players. And it's and now they're being held back them by down. a manager now. Well, they're being held back by the fact that their squad is bloated, too. And the fact that they uh, can't even decide. A better, kind a better of- manager can fit those in. You know, United squad is no more bloated than cities, Martin. That's that's not an excuse. That's true. That's true. It's it's far less bloated. But yeah. there's also a distribution problem, which we'll talk about a little well, bit in the second half. For sure. And and I think I mean generally the difficult thing with this with the midfield too, right? Is we talked about this. They oftentimes morph into this 4-2-4. When you have two in the midfield that are covering this massive gap because you've torn the blanket and you're giving them basically you're giving two not that good soldiers, the m- probably most valuable part of the field to guard, and neither of them are actually sixes. Yeah. Fred is like is like an eight, if not even like back at Shekhtar, maybe even a ten. McTominay is better as an eight, if not even a yeah. ten. He's a physical yeah. guy, but he's not a six. When yep. every time that United build out of the back, I mentioned this earlier, they can't find players because what is McTominay doing? He's he like hides behind players who are pressing. Or Liverpool's just pressing well. Yeah, you know, and when, doing when you things right. Compare that to six. yeah. I mean, Liverpool have you know uh, when 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 fit have Henderson and Fabinho in that midfield, who are, who are two of the best sixes in terms of distribution, I think, in the world. They're they're both fantastic, and you know you can the difference is very very clear with a team that United that don't really have that ball playing midfield. I mean, Fred. Fred is good technically, but more more in tighter spaces. You know, short passing, dribbling. I mean, he's quite good at those things, but he, he can't play a long ball. We can talk Lindelof, about Pogba. Lindelof Pog- can do that, maybe. Pogba, who can play a long ball, but Pogba's got his, all, his other whole host of problems. Pogba cannot play in the defensive midfield, too. We've seen that over, yeah, he's, over and over again. He needs, he needs he's an Conte, attacking midfielder. He's he needs Blaise Matuidi. He needs these guys to liberate him, but yeah. you have no liberator in the side. Anyway, yeah. let's carry on. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I, I truly believe, you know, this United squad is a good six away from being able to win the league, you know, but that's bold, but I see where you're coming from. The squad, the manager, however, is, um, oof, mm, I see maybe someone that is not going to win the league. So I guess this, this is a good time to call our halftime break. Um, sure. It's not really halftime. It's like, a you know, what? Two thirds. Two two thirds time. Yeah. Don't worry. There's not much left. So <laughs> we'll see um, you on the other side. But yeah, the no, not yet. Not yet. I do want to, you know, send it off right away. The question right. for this I retract my whistle. Is kind of why first of all, why has Ole been backed so much to this point compared to the other managers United have had? Like what's right. what's he doing differently? Because this this sort of support and uh, this sort of leeway was not given to David Moyes. It was not given to Louis Van Hall. It was not given to Jose Mourinho. Ole, Ole seems to have all of it he wants. And also, like, how did he possibly survive this result? Why? I, it, it seems, you know, 
And maybe I had my doubts because I've been thinking about some of the stuff we'll talk about in the second half before. But I think most people were fully expecting him to be gone this week after that result. Yeah, that was that was all I was hearing. And he's not. Yeah, now that Komen got sacked, people are going to be people are already comparing the two situations. There's a lot of different comparisons. Oh, every almost every parallels. comment I saw on the Komen thing was like, "Wow!" And Ole is still in. <laughs> And yeah, it's a laughing stock, man. It's difficult. It's difficult. Well, don't worry. I I know why, because I'm really smart, and I'll tell you guys all about it in the second half. I'll, we'll see you then. Hello, guys, and welcome back to the second half of the Touchline Theory Soccer Podcast. We had a good discussion in the first about uh, kind of the United Liverpool match recently, and maybe how United are looking on the field but it's time to take a step back and look at united off the field a little bit because you know the manager isn't allowed to go on the field so why look at it i suppose because we're looking at ole here so ole is as i mentioned the fourth manager since sir alex ferguson and the only one to be consistently backed in the media and the transfer market by the club to to anywhere near this degree and it's it's kind of hard to see why is the results are nothing special. Um, he's he's just just barely outperformed uh, Moyes and Van Hall with a much better squad, and he has a significantly worse record than Mourinho. And you know, let alone Sir Alex Ferguson, who's who's the guy that you know everyone's going to be compared to. So the results don't seem to be anything special. Uh, does he have a good system of play? No, I mean, like, Martin, if I asked you, like, what, what is United's tactical system? Like, do you have any response to that? Or do you just not know? Because I don't know. I don't even um, need to answer that question. Yeah, that's a tough one. And they're, you know, I would describe them as consistently inconsistent. They're, they're a team that will that's go good. on runs where they look completely unstoppable. And these will inevitably be followed by a run where they look um, very stoppable. I guess would would be the way to put it. And there seems to be no real pattern or discernible triggers for when these runs switch. You know, it's it's the kind of team that you genuinely don't know what to expect every time they play. It's the kind of team where, you know, I was genuinely going into that Liverpool game with some fear, even with how bad they looked. It's the kind of team where even after that Liverpool game, I genuinely feel they could beat Spurs this weekend. Because, you know, Maybe, maybe their couple of good performances. Maybe all their marketing team has to has to really double down on that and just talk about how you literally have no clue what is going to happen, and that's the entertainment value. Instead of it trying is. to put forth that it's an elite club, it's now it's it's just a pure entertainment for either you or the opponent. But that's yeah. not really sustainable for a club. So yeah, and you know, well, I'll talk a lot more about that later, actually. But I mean, this this is a team that looks incredible. And they're, they're really fun to watch, even for me, who like, you know, shouldn't shouldn't like them at all. They're fun to watch for me when they're playing well. They give a lot of room for individual expression. They have players who are, you know, capable of expressing themselves individually. Marcus Rashford, Ronaldo, Bruno Fernandez, Pogba, when they're at their best, are all incredible to watch, all very fun. You know, Jaden Sancho, if he ever gets going, is going to join that club as well. But when when it goes wrong, it goes you know more wrong than it does for any of these other top clubs. They look completely disjointed. They look completely lost. And you know, as as you mentioned, the first half they're missing things that like you and I are seeing, like the the real basics of soccer. Like this is stuff like we that no one should be missing, but they don't have it. 
And I mean, if you look at Ole's resume, like you mentioned, you know, Mulder and Cardiff, that looks wildly out of place compared to the managers he's up against, compared to Thomas Tuchel, Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp. It, it, it seems like he's the guy who doesn't belong in that list. And even compared to someone like Mikel Arteta, who, you know, is another manager who maybe has been thrust into a job that he, he's not quite ready for. It doesn't have the resume it's built. Arteta is being given time, you know, rightly or wrongly. I, I, I feel like he should not be given as much time as he has been, but he's been given time in the hope that his tactical system will develop and the players will begin to understand it. And there is some faith that he is actually progressing towards something concrete. He's actually building towards something. He's improving as a manager. I don't know if I can say the same thing about Ole. I don't know if he has that upside potential that, that someone like Arteta has, even though I, I don't really rate Arteta that highly, I can at least see what he's trying to accomplish. I have no idea what Ole is trying to accomplish with this team. This, this strikes me as a man who is just holding on for dear life, just putting, putting out fires as they rise and does not have a long-term vision. Because if he does have, have one, he, he has done no work in actually building towards it. United you know, play the exact same way now as they do when he joined the club. And they may not play that way every week, but you, know, you, you take a month from his first season compared to a month now, it's going to look very, very similar, Martin, even with better players. And, you know, the, the defeat to Liverpool this weekend is undoubtedly the low point of his reign. As I said, I think this, this like, there's a genuine argument. This is United's low point as a club. I don't know that much about, like, the real ancient history. But, you know, since, since Sir Alex Ferguson and probably, you know, including his time there, I cannot think of a result anywhere near as bad as a performance anywhere near well, as bad as this. I mean, losing to Villarreal in the Europa League was a... I mean, Villarreal is a good team, but when a team of Man United's stature goes into that final, you, you expect them to win. That's, that's understandable, Martin. And they, they at least were very competitive through that entire game. But it's right? again, it's, it's just the type it's, of thing it's where it's like world's different than this. No, I understand. I'm not. I'm not trying to put them on par. But I'm saying that like even within Ollie's reign, he has had moments that have really tested. He's the had both, conf- or should have tested the confidence. However, he's also had excellent moments. He's beaten City. He's beaten Chelsea. I don't think he's beaten Liverpool. He beat PSG in the Champions League. He has a knack. For You're right. Sometimes in these but big games, he will get the most out of his players. It's consistently inconsistent. But, you know, he also has a knack for having big games where his team completely collapses just like this. And, you know, what, whatever upside uh, Ole has shown has been, you know, in, in, in small flashes. And it doesn't seem something he's able to replicate on a consistent basis. And it shows that, you know, even if he has a knack for, for getting these big results once in a while, he very clearly does not have the consistency needed to win a title in today's Premier League with so much competition, to win a title in the Champions League with so much competition. What, what what this does, too, is it inspires an identity crisis. And identity is very central to any sort of group, and especially a sporting team, a club like this. And I think that there's just such tactical and directional uncertainty with Man United, right? And, and I, I feel like, you know, it's unclear as to whether Man United want a future team or a current team, right? They bring in recruitment, like... Guys like Van de Beek and Sancho and and Ahmad and and Palistri and these young guys that are promising that look like good players for the future, but then they bring in Varane and Ronaldo. Who again, I'm I'm putting aside my biases here as a it's not a Barcelona thing, but it's like Varane and Ronaldo are guys that are going to get re- results today, but they're they Varane, may compromise. Varane is actually I I wouldn't lump him in. Varane is still relatively young. He's much younger than you'd think. He's he's I been on the scene forever. He's like 26, which for a center back. He will be around for the future if he. If I understand. He yeah. Sure. 
I suppose there's also no direct player that is young and promising as a center back in, at, at United right now either, right? Lindelof needed replacing, so sure. <laughs> We keep I mean, right out of the conversation. Quite good. I think he's he's fine as a third option. Well, that's what I'm saying. Part. It wasn't a yeah. desperate need to be replaced. Yeah. yeah. No. But my but my point is right. They they it's clear that they still don't know. Do we want results now? Do we want to build to something? It's unclear, right? Other points of uh, lack of clarity, right? Do they want to be do- ball dominant or do they want to counter? When you sign a guy like Vandebeek, who is comes from the Ajax Academy, you expect that that signals that you're like when you try to like play teams and build out of the back and do all the new things that people are trying to do with, you know, build up sequences out of defense and things like that. And you sign a guy like Vandebeek, it's like okay, Vandebeek like knows how to play the ball, he knows how to pass the ball, he knows how to move it quickly. He's not a counterattacking threat. From what I've seen, he's not a counterattacking threat. So that's incongruent. Do you want to counter? You know, is Ronaldo the best player to be in a counterattacking side? He, I know Real Madrid I, is, is current known, Ronaldo. No, I mean he's known to be Real Madrid is known as a counterattacking team, but only when they play Barcelona. Real Madrid dominates every yeah. game and has possession of the ball against every other team. Ronaldo thrived in that environment because they had a lot of the ball when he played for Juventus. They had a lot of the ball. Now you want to be a counterattacking team with Ronaldo? Like Ronaldo yeah. is so fast, but he's not a counterattacking player. <laughs> You know, and so it's like, do you want to have the ball or do you want to counter? Another thing, do you want to defend high or low? We talked about this, right? And so there's all of these moments where it's just like, where do we stand? And all of these things greatly influence player recruitment and starting 11s and all the things that we've talked about. So I have a list here very quickly that I want to get through of like all the weird incongruencies that I'm seeing that has been inspired, like this identity crisis has been inspired by all these confusing kind of what he represents. So here I have it, right? Ronaldo works when you have the ball. Period. Sure. Do United have the ball against the top like six, eight teams in this league? Kind of not really. No. Okay. That's incongruent. Cavani works when you want to get it back. When you play Liverpool, you might anticipate that you might want to be getting the ball, the ball back a lot. So Cavani sounds to me like maybe a more compelling option. Again, I understand I'm biased. Yeah. Just and thought. Cavani is almost always used as a sub in late games where you know they need a goal, not not when they're trying to get the ball back. But he's a super intelligent player. If we're talking about role models as an attacker for United, Cavani's the role model, man. I don't know. He runs. I, I love that guy. He's great. He runs. He's a clinical finisher. He's no nonsense. Anyway, I have more. Daniel James, who was sold to Leeds for what, 28 million pounds or whatever, would have worked if you actually wanted different tools for different game situations and were genuinely interested in coordinating a nice press against a dynamic side like Liverpool. And they sold him. Okay, that's incongruent. More. Pogba works when the stakes aren't high. Let's just admit that, and we can enjoy him. That is when Pogba works, right? When the stakes aren't high because of the game or because he's not actually defensively responsible. Okay. I've I've been saying this for years. I'm glad you're catching on, though. (laughs) Van de Beek works when we actually want to play possession soccer, which is not what United want, or I don't know, but it's, you know, Sancho works... Sancho works when we have overlapping wingbacks. Sancho was insane when he had Hakimi coming around him at Dortmund. Yeah. So hard to mark that duo. But now what happens? Aaron Wan-Bissaka works when we don't want overlapping wingbacks. Yeah. But are still too timid to just convert to a back three system already and make his pace an advantage rather than a disadvantage. Okay? Incongruency. 
Fred doesn't seem to achieve anything when he's on the field, but United don't really seem to achieve anything when he's not on it. <laughs> Where do we go from here? You know, Greenwood, I like that. That's good. Greenwood as the key protagonist works when you want to prioritize one of the top young talents in the world, right? Facundo Pellistri and Amad Diallo works when you literally have no idea what you're doing and love making haphazard signings based on football <laughs> manager potential ratings. How can you focus? I've said this. How can you focus on the team's attack 10 years from now when everything is just in flames today? Yeah. It makes no sense. It doesn't make sense. Are you I done? I have a couple, a couple okay. final things. Right, keep going. Keep going. Playing McTominay as a six when he's basically an eight, which I've alluded to, if not a physically powerful 10, works when... You want to have no outlet passes when building out of the back because his CDM positioning in possession is really not great. That's yep. when that works. TELUS works when you're playing horse with free kicks after practice. That's when TELUS works. Wow. De Gea works when he isn't embarrassing himself on social media in public by demanding comparisons to Neuer. Bruno works, as I've mentioned, when he isn't playing as a second striker and completely withdrawn from buildup in this 4-2-4. And Harry Maguire just works, so we shouldn't be mad at him. There Fair are enough. just too many things that when you look at it, it's yeah. like there was absolutely nobody in the boardroom that said, before we get into the nitty-gritty, why don't we have a plan? This is just blind. Yeah. This is This is me... But doing my my Barcelona career mode that I do 15 times a year in FIFA when I'm frustrated with the team that I see out there and I go in, I sell the whole team and I buy a bunch of attackers and I have three squads. Yeah. You can't. But that is me living in a fantasy world. You cannot do that. Against here. the amateur AI. Right? This is no against less. real managers. Hey, hey uh, semi-pro, maybe professional if I'm feeling it on competitive mode or whatever, competitor mode. Don't give me that. But yeah, it does not... It is not conducive to having an actual game model. And it's also, I think, utterly indicative of the fact that there is none. If they had a recruitment yeah. strategy or policy, this would not be the makeup of the squad that we have. They would have a guy like Declan Rice, Wilfred yeah. Ndidi. Like, I mean, Calvin Phillips will absolutely never go to United given that he's a Leeds guy through and through. But those are the players they need. They should have, honestly, they should have spent... 80 million, 90 million on Declan Rice over they spent it on, instead of spending it on Sancho. They shouldn't have spent it on Sancho. I, I completely agree, Martin. And, um, you know, you, you just gave a pretty comprehensive list. This United squad just doesn't make much sense. But this is actually one of the few things I can't really blame Ole for. This isn't his fault. This is the board's fault. You know, United does not let the manager make signings. They, they make signings as a club. And this was actually a very big point of contention between them and the past few managers they've had, especially Mourinho, who was always furious that he wasn't given as much license as he would have wanted to pick his own signings, right? But, but it's true. I mean, there's so many things about this team that don't make sense. They've needed a, a good defensive midfielder for years. I, I can't even remember the last truly elite one they've had, and they still haven't signed one. They see they Ronaldo still, and they buy him. They see they still Pellistri, haven't they him. buy him. It's like, what they, are you they've doing? Needed a, they've needed a right winger for years and years and years. And they finally spend big money on one as soon as Mason Greenwood emerges make any sense. and takes that spot. This is United are literally and now they're not playing him. United are literally me when I go to an expensive restaurant, right? And I'm and I'm like they give me a bunch of food and I eat and I just keep eating the expensive food because it's expensive and it's yummy. But I am so full 
that I feel so terrible and sluggish afterwards that it's not worth it ever. That is what United embody. Yeah, it's just, and- it's this gluttony. It's this hoarding. It's this, you know, this, this cramming of talent in places where it's not needed. And it's just like, Oh, promising player. Uh, let's sign him, bring him in. And you know, Donnie at Vandenberg, some point off, off a lot of media hype with Ajax, they sign him. Jaden Sancho off a lot of media hype. They sign him. Ronaldo always, you know, has his own universe of media hype. They sign him. These seem to me like signings made more based on entertainment value. And what's, what's going to get people, you know, buying new shirts and excited to play as the team and the new FIFA rather than signings that are actually made with any kind of set structure that, that is going to help the team win games. You know, entertainment is more the focus here, it seems to me. And we can talk about what the purpose of sport is, but at the same time, the oh, entertainment factor, it's almost not even entertainment. It's almost more glitz and glam than anything, right? Because entertaining... Yeah. Which, which is know, entertainment to a, a lot team, of people, Martin. But, Look, but a team I know that you wins... A team that wins is also entertaining. And if you're a team that wins and loses, but you have cool players, maybe that's, you know, for the younger generation. Yeah. But what are you really accomplishing? Oh, yeah, Mar- I mean, the glitz the glitz and glam, as you call it. I mean, that that does appeal to millions and millions of people. As you know, I mean, take, take a look at social media, see what's popular. Like, you know, I, you know, I know you and me have a very, you know, we, we really view this as like a game and like winning, winning is all it is. But I mean, it's, it's a big cultural thing for a lot of people. You can see it. And this, I would agree. This is maybe where, where we can segue into talking about um, United's owners. But first, I mean, we, we've been very negative on Ole for most of this episode, I think it's fair to say. So I want to I want to talk about like the things he does well. And, you know, the the first thing I want to say is like, I he's he's a great guy. Like, I, I can't bring myself <laughs> to dislike him at all. Infallible. I genuinely really like this guy. He seems really nice. His players have generally seemed to love him through his time at United. Maybe just now there's finally some doubts about, you know, the direction of the team now that they've had these terrible but, results. But their players have, players have generally really supported him. He smiles Former, a lot. He's not contentious in press conferences. Yeah. He's a simple guy. Former he, United players all he, absolutely love him. I mean, he you, has a little squeaky voice. Yeah. I mean, you can't hate him in, in a weird seen the, way. Have you seen the clips? You you could you could do anything to, to Gary Neville, and he would not say a bad word against this man. I mean, mm-hmm. literally anything, right? Yeah. And, and the club ownership also seems to really love him, right? Like I said, he, is, he has been backed. You know, they, they have spent more money under him. And, you know, you can argue whether it's really him being back since he's not the one making the signings, but they are investing in the club led by Ole. They're, you know, saying they're happy with the direction of the club led by Ole. So that's one thing he's got. He's a really nice guy. Um, the other thing, uh, another thing is that, you know, he, he, has, he has a legend status at the club, you know, maybe like more of a cult legend than an actual one. But, you know, he, he was a big name. He's a recognizable name from back in the day. And he does tie things back to United's, you know, class of 92 glory days, back when they were actually really good and not just like, you know, maybe kind of good like they are now. He scored and, a famous goal, just like yeah. Ronald Koeman did. Iron, and kind of Iron Munich, the, yeah. the tie that we're going to bring into the second part of this kind of like podcast series. However, the, the challenge. Yeah, you take it from here. However. Those were the only two things I could think of that he does well. And that's that's not good, Martin. I actually like spent some serious time about this. And what this and means is like those both seem like very minor things. Um so those are big things. Those they, are big things in this world. They they seem I mean, like at first impressions, like being a nice guy is not like right. very high up your list. No, of like, course, of course. Ooh, like these these things maybe must be a lot more important than I initially thought they were. Because they, they seem to be all that is keeping him in a job. So 
I mean, let's really look like the, the fans. Fans are done with this point. I, I know a few United fans. I've seen the reactions on Twitter. The fans generally seem to be over him. You know, the the charm is worn off, and they're just like, we we cannot lose five nil to Liverpool and look this bad. We need someone else. You know, mm-hmm. it's Phil Dolia. But you know, the fans don't make the decisions. So let's let's look at the people who do make the decisions. We were the Glazers, you know, United's American billionaire owners, and you know, down to earth guys. As I will always remind you, football does not mean the same thing to the owners as it does to the fans. This is this is a business for them. You know, they probably don't even care about the sport that much. Let me be honest. They're a bunch of stupid Americans like us, right? So, you know, the question is that you know, Ole Ole is clearly not someone who, who's good for soccer. Right? He's 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 not someone who's going to bring uh you know bring back the glory days of, you know, under Sir Alex Ferguson. He's not someone who's going to win the league, you know, five times in a row or whatever. But, but weirdly, maybe, maybe he's very good for business. He's very good for business. Because why? Why? Because he is not the type of guy that is going to blow up the boardroom. He's not going yeah. to go and have the same sort of schisms that Mourinho is well known for. That, I mean, Van Gaal is a contentious character. Conte has been like rumored to be a candidate for man united what do you think is going to happen with antonio conte maybe you get some results right now maybe man united goes to a three five two out of nowhere and that does not last though it's it's an unsustainable situation but in one year he's going to have a massive fight argument with with people and it's going to be a disaster and these people at the top they they kind of want their puppet you know, always weirdly kind of a little bit of a puppet who's not going to he's he's, go against the managers. He's not going to cause problems. If you look at, like I said, yeah. maybe not Moyes, Mourinho and Van Gaal, different characters. Maybe they were like, you know what? For once, let's get a guy that'll just accept what we give him. Yeah. And, and they probably and Ole, Ole is someone who really does not have much choice but to accept what they give him. Because we've, you know, we've listed off his resume. He is someone who, you know, it has got to know at some level that he he has lucked into this job, kind of that he's he's gotten it because of his name and because there weren't any other real top managers available. But once he knows that, like he he maybe doesn't have the most wiggle room in this position. He's not someone who can make a lot of demands in the owners because he knows that you know he's 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 kind of out of his depth a little bit. I mean, the and convenient if thing he, if he shakes the boat too much, he's just going to sink and you know have to and- go manage a Norwegian club or something. And he'll and, be the one that sinks. Nobody else will be affected by it. And maybe, ironically mm-hmm. enough, it's like the Glazers or whomever is in charge of making these decisions. The fact that they have to spend less time dealing with fires that their own manager creates, which is a mm-hmm. occupational hazard that everybody has to take into account. When I mean, Komen caused, has caused problems. I mean, like, their last their last manager was Jose Mourinho. Absolute nightmare. I mean, like, <laughs> incredible. He's he's someone who will bring results. Much, 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 much better manager than Ole. But if you're talking about, you know, for the owners, who's an easier manager to manage? Oh my uh, god! Oh my god! Well, They're, they need time to go scout the right. Uruguayan league to go pick off Facundo from uh, Peñarol yeah. and bring in more bloated signings. That's what Ole is allowing them to do. Ole, the fact that they do not have to like man like monitor yeah. Solshire is like the reason why probably they have so much free time to just buy idiotic players and uh, get tractor sponsorships and all that other good stuff they're doing. <laughs> all so important. It, it, it is all important. Martin. It's just I know business, we laugh man. at those things, but I mean, you look, you look at United and I, I the, the real question as for me is Ole has shown, you know, you know, even though it's like seemingly through luck and he has no discernible plan, he has shown that he is able to, you know, put together these good runs and bad runs 
that just about average out to the level United have been sustaining for the last decade since Sir Alex Ferguson left. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's he's never someone who's going to take them above that level. But so far, you know, unless unless this run is the start of like a truly horrific collapse, because as I mentioned, this Liverpool game was the low point. So far, he's also shown himself as someone who's not going to take them that far below that level either. Who's right. going to be, you know, someone who, even though the on-field performance is wildly inconsistent, is very stable in that position anyway. He has so the, a lot of endurance for treading water, is kind of yeah. how I see it. Like, the, he's not moving anywhere. He's not sinking either. He's just got the head of the entire club just barely above, yeah. such that it'll never be full crisis mode, even in this situation, because he hasn't been fired after the game like Kuman was after Rasho. But he, at the same time, will... He's not gonna. He's not gonna win a title with Man United. I'm sorry, it's yeah. not gonna happen. It's, I mean, it's, it's not. And but I mean, United have won what one FA Cup since Sir Alex Ferguson left. That's it. That's all they've done. And so, is sustaining that level good enough? Right? Because it's not. It's not a new problem to Ole. It's what they've been. And from the owner's point of view, yeah, maybe. I mean, obviously they don't. They don't want the team to you know never win a title again. But another two, three, four, you know, ten years of this. Is it Top a real four, problem? Champions League, yeah. you get and more money, the name stays a household name. Because United's United's past decade, which has been, you know, a complete disaster relative to what they were before this, has it really hurt them? No. Not, no, because, not at all. Because look, we can be talking about the recruitment the entire time. They are recruiting these players. They these get, players they are the wanting players to come. The they right. they will next time. They're they're getting Ronaldo. Right? other clubs are not doing that right they still have a massive fan base biggest fan base in the world right that is not going anywhere right, right. Yeah, yeah. regardless of what the results are coming and financially i mean my god they're still miles above everyone else you look at united's revenues and it, it is scary this stuff like the tractor sponsorship it pays out man united make more money than any other team in the premier league by a mile you know compared to a team like city who have been incredible for all of the past 10 years but don't have you know the global fan base the history united make miles more money even compared to liverpool who do have that global fan base and history and and you know have been much much better than united for the past five years they've still made miles more money than us or arsenal who has a massive massive history and, and fan base as well who you know has sustainable methods of income also can attract top players uh, but have chosen a different route where, like you mentioned, Arteta is trying things. He's accepting yeah. short-term, short-term pains for long-term gains. Hopefully, maybe we all are hoping that that might happen so we can see something cool. But Ali yeah. is, again, what are the pains he's suffering now so that he can make progress in the future? I just don't see it. And maybe say- I'm blind to it. And maybe I'm no. an ignorant person. But it seems to me like he's oh, if- kind of choosing to take the option of just consistently being kind of fourth, right? Which was Arsenal's former mantra, right? The idea of bringing in Arteta is like, okay, we have problems. The whole meme was that Arsenal was always fourth. Fourth isn't a bad place to be because you get to enjoy a lot of the benefits of being top four. And it's and, a much better place to be now than it was 10 years ago as well. And, and the, But the thing to consider, right, is Arsenal then chose a different path. Right. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Emery was a different situation, this and that. They fell into a little bit of a, of a slump. But like yeah. with with Arsenal, they're saying, you know what? Maybe fourth isn't even what we're mm-hmm. trying to shoot for. We want Arteta to build a team that can actually be third, that can be second, that can really, really Might push. Win, win a league someday. And but maybe that'll that's... take five years. But if it does, then maybe it'll be worth it. 
right? Liverpool. But how many years did it take Liverpool to get to the point where they won a league? It was 30 years before they won their first years, title. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of that. United isn't doing that. And we did it. But a lot you of did. between, really boring to watch. Or maybe, maybe not even boring is the right so word. Then like current maybe... Arsenal are boring to watch, right? I, I, I watch an Arsenal game. I get no enjoyment from it. And again, like, you know, uh, there's there's this whole debate to be had about what the purpose of sport is. But ultimately, you know, for the owners, the goal is not to run a winning team. It's to run a profitable team. And one way to look at that is that soccer is entertainment and, you know, we'll make more profit if the team is more entertaining. And, you know, say whatever you want about Ole. Say whatever you want about United right now. But my God, are they entertaining. Best best team to watch in the world as a neutral. I truly believe that. And but, I have but, watched but, them an incredible amount over the past few years. You think know, about it, though. I'm not a neutral. Think about Anything it, though. can happen in any game. You're a big crazy. you're a big NBA guy, right? The NBA, right, with only five players on the court at, all, at any given time, right? You have a sixth yeah. man who might be a star too. When you think about the historic, like glitzy, glammy uh, teams in the NBA, you look at the Miami Heat when they had Chris Bosh, Ray Allen, they had Dwayne Wade and LeBron James, right? You think about Jordan and Pippen and and. Uh, Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman. Luke and Longley. Ooh, yeah. Like, they had the guy from whatever, Croatia or something, who was yeah, also Tony, very Tony good. Tony Kukoc, Steve Kerr. Kukoc, they had team. Steve Kerr. Yeah. So, so that team and the Heat team, right? Let's take those two examples, right? We're talking sure. blockbuster Hollywood teams. But who are the coaches? Phil Jackson and Eric Spolstra? Like, those are guys that know their know their stuff. Eric Spolstra, like, <laughs> was the guy that was, like, in the, you know, the the footage room, and, and he emerged. Yeah, he's, he's, but, but, he's done this in his, his entire life. Phil Jackson is why I regard as, like, one of the most, you know, even if, like, he's e either the best or, like, the most influential coach of all time for, for what he brought to the game. Think um, about think about Eric Spolstra. It's, like, at least this guy, like, carries some sort of, like, intellectual acumen, some sort of excellence. Eric Spolstra's a great coach. Yeah. And, and so it's just like you, if you're going to have FC Hollywood, like PSG is trying to do, I have more confidence that PSG is going to go, is going to achieve the level that they're trying to with just like peppering all these insane signings because Pochettino might actually be capable of constructing something there. It's hard for him right now. He publicly backed Messi for Ballon d'Or and Neymar and Mbappe got mad at him. Like the, <laughs> that, that is a nightmare to deal with. I don't know if I would have picked that job, but but you think that he might just be able to do it, right? People at Man United probably would love to have Pochettino. And so uh, the problem yeah. is like, if you want to have just all these stars and be the Galacticos, I mean, what were the Galacticos? Like they had Jose Mourinho, they had Ancelotti, they had Zidane. The, mm -hmm. the, the, the bad managers for Real Madrid came and left very quickly for the most part, yeah. you know? And Madrid is a team that knows exactly what they need from a manager, you know? And I think that's... Uh, definitely a leg up they've had on Barcelona over the past decade. Um, and this is certainly one they have over United. Far and away. Yeah. Anyway, carry on. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's like getting close to it. I mean, my overall point is United, you know, they're entertainment, right? It's like, is, is this a football club or is this just like a massive international business that happens to have the name of a football club? And Ole is you know, a great family-friendly face who's, who's not going to make anyone upset. He's not going to cause any problems for the owners. And, you know, seemingly, you know, the, the sporting success, the fact that he's not building towards something, the fact that, you know, he's going to have these really bad results once in a while, the fact that he's probably not a manager they're going to win a title under, 
you know, those are all problems, but those are all problems we've, we've known about long before this Liverpool game, long before this run of recent bad form. Those have been clear about Ole seemingly pretty much from the start, right? So yeah. The question then becomes is then, you know, obviously nothing he's doing on the sporting side, unless it gets much, much worse than it's been so far, which I, I don't think it will. I think United will bounce back from this and they, they will, you know, win of the, one of their three really hard games this week and everyone will be like, oh yeah, it's a new dawn. We're back. And Paul Pogba will sign his new contract after a couple of good yeah. performances. Yeah. I mean, it's all, we've seen it all before. So, you know, that, that leads me to believe that, you know, if Ole's, you know, not going to be fired for, you know, again, the, the worst United performance I have ever seen in my life, then maybe he's just not going to be fired for anything he does on the on-field side of it. Sure. We could take maybe. that assumption. Maybe he's only going to be fired once he starts to truly cost United financially. And, you know, who knows when that's going to happen? It's, that's a hard calculation to make. That's a hard calculation. I'm sure that's, that's what the owners have been doing all week is weighing up whether, you know, the hassle from firing him and having to look for a replacement in a market where, you know, the only truly top available manager is Antonio Conte, who you just, you know, as you said, is obviously going to have a horrible clash with management, like at some point within the next two years and go. And, you know, they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll eat all this, you know, upset from our fans. Fans have short memories. If United beat Spurs next week, a lot of people are saying, ah, you know what? That's fine. We'll give him another month. And then it's I think, month. And I think he'll, he'll get enough, just enough of those good results to keep the hope alive and keep United interesting. And, you know, they, like I said, they're interesting, right? Uh, there's, there's an old saying, I, I don't, you know, people will debate whether it's true or not, but all press is good press, Right. And United get get the most press of any team in the world because it's it's crazy. It's a crazy ride. So Ole's wild seesaw ride, and it brings narrative drama and engagement. And you know, maybe that's better than someone like Mourinho, who's going to win more, but in a more boring way. Someone like Arteta, who has a long term project, but isn't isn't really the most engaging to watch right now. Mm -hmm. I suppose the question as we wrap things up here on what was a very chaotic uh, first first third a very different approach for us in this in this episode a more composed i think yeah. uh collected and serious uh second part and a more pensive third stretch um football is not split up into thirds but that's kind of what we're doing now yeah. i i think that the question that kind of arises for me is just like okay so if that happens and ole is the constant then where do they go from here and i talked about identity crisis right and i think it's hard to anticipate that there will really be much change besides him going in and saying, Hey, we need to have more desire in the match. And eventually <laughs> some players getting sold in the January window, but then them overindulging and also bringing in more gluttonous talent yeah. uh, into the places. They don't need it. Sign another striker. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> the, the biggest question to me is like, we talk about pressing, right? Rap, kind of tying things back into our previous discussions. Mm -hmm. Pressing. If you're going to want to be a team that actually presses, right? And you're going to be a team, let's say, that even invests in the idea of trying to strategize the press. If, let's let's say we, we, we admit that Ronaldo in a pressing system doesn't work. You can't have him in a system that needs a spearhead that is going to guide the rest of the team and indicate to the team, you know, and realistically, I, I, this is the shame, right? I could look at Ronaldo and be like, you would actually be a really, really good presser if somebody taught you to do it and you wanted to do it and you cared. Because he would learn the craft. He would learn the tricks of the trade. He's 
very athletic. Yeah, that's still that's insanely gonna, athletic. It's not going to happen not, under Ole at 36. But know. so here's the thing, right? If, if Ronaldo is truly the immovable object here, because we all keep talking about like, oh, play Cavani or play Greenwood up top and give Sancho minutes or, you know, give all these other players a chance around him. Ronaldo will not be dropped. He, everybody's saying, oh, no. well, my, all the, you know, oh, and, my solution he, is drop Martin, Ronaldo. He, sh- he what, shouldn't be. What right? world they, are we on though? Like you're, he's not getting dropped and, and yeah. I would drop him, but who am I? No one cares you're, about what I think. You're a biased idiot. Right. Exactly. So, so the <laughs> like thing Ronaldo, that I think... Ronaldo is an excellent tool. You know, obviously, you're if you, you know, he is not going to be able to press right and add to the level, or unless you make some serious changes. You know, he's he's the kind of player you have to build around. But he is, you know, one of the best pure goal scorers of all time. He's a player you have to build around if you so have. Here, so that's the fundamental point. The fundamental they, point is if you're going to have Ronaldo in the side, and it is literally the thing that you will not uh, not have then you need to design a system that is compatible with his style of play. Yeah. If he's going to be a nine, you need to have a team that pulls back, that doesn't concede so much space, that doesn't have wingers that are getting that are pressing like idiots and getting caught out, and you have four players bypassed with one ball into Henderson, right? You need to shape the identity of the team around him. If you're really going to say, you know what, we have Sancho, we have Greenwood, we have Rashford, we have all these other guys that can be poster boys for the future, but we're going to choose the the legacy dude that has brings some uh, problematic baggage with him and also has an ethos of arrogance and all these different things. Whatever, I'm not, these are biases. Ronaldo's a great player, but if you're going to make that decision, you can't still try to convince people that you're still interested in building a young squad, that you're still interested. In, because when you bring in Ronaldo, you're looking for results today, right now, yeah. and you need to... You need to funnel everything into that because when you have prior, you have to pick your priorities and you cannot have everything. You cannot have a team that is pressing high and also pressing low. You can't have a team that wants to counterattack and possess the ball. You need to, sorry, you need to decide, you need to make a decision. And it seems as though the biggest flaw for me with Ollie is that he's such a nice guy that he's not willing to make these lose, lose decisions that are inherently the onus of a lot of leadership positions in any in any sphere of influence whatsoever. People that are at the helm need to make decisions that suck either way. And he refuses to do that. When you make a decision here, we talked, there's this dichotomy as you go down the squad list of Sancho is excellent when he has an overlapping fullback, but their starting fullback does not overlap. You need to pick what your path is going to be. Well, and there to be needs fair. to be I mean, there so needs he... to be attrition and it needs to be fast the fat needs to get cut it's the thing that we've seen at barcelona too and again as i've alluded to plenty of times we're going to have a whole episode on this exact same frame this exact same conversation with my beloved club like if you're going to pick aaron juan Bissaka to be the guy there then sancho's got to go yeah and if you don't want to let sancho go then you got to let aaron juan Bissaka go or you have to adapt the system to put him in a place where he doesn't hamper that player you know if you're going to do if you're going to go with ronaldo Cavani can't be here. Greenwood can't even be uh, like Greenwood and Ronaldo are kind uh, of incompatible. Like uh, you need to start uh, making the tough decisions to get to a point where you have some convergence, where the style is actually coherent, where you're yeah. not trying to have Fred McTominay. I mean, is Matic still at the club? He like, still is. Yeah. doesn't, I mean like but... Pogba, these midfielders, right? Where it's just like, 
What is the role of a midfielder in the United system right now? No one knows. Even the midfielders don't know. You need to make that clear. You need to dial in the, the, the and, and when you do that, when you make it clear, given the just totally rash and inconceivable recruitment, half the players are going to have to get shipped out and half of them are going to have to stay. And the ones that stay are going to have to be the ones that work together well that maybe bring the entertainment value. If you want to pick all the starlets, you pick the starlets that at least work, right? But it's like this idea that they can just keep living this liminal kind of existing in both worlds, but never existing in one or the other, then they will permanently be stuck in this washing machine spin cycle of not hitting the heights that they think they deserve to hit. And maybe maybe that's that's fine. Maybe that's maybe fine, and maybe it's what the owners want. But for the fans, which theoretically, in the saccharine uh, kind of uh, view of the of the world with sunsets and you know air that tastes sweet, yeah. maybe that's what like you know we we say that the clubs should be for. But maybe it's more yeah, like what you're saying. Maybe we just have to acquiesce in the fact that it's like this team is going to be chaotic and remain chaotic because that's what they want. And the chaos, even though it's the ups and downs is just this intoxicating drug that everybody is taking when they watch United. You know, you ever hear the old trope? There's like, you know, the will they, won't they storyline sitcoms, the romances. That's kind of what United are like. It's like, you you never quite know. Like they, I think Ole is the perfect manager for this. He's going to, you know, he's, he's just like, mysterious enough and you know it's it's so hard to pinpoint like why exactly is there that there is always going to be that hope that you know no matter how badly things have gone they might just go right the next game and the converse is also true what it means is that it's 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 very difficult to miss a united game it's hard for me to miss a united game i like like i said i really shouldn't care about this team that much but it's just so much fun to watch every week <laughs> and it's either colossal colossal triumph or colossal collapse yeah yeah either either way one team looks very very good and one team looks very very bad and sometimes it's fun to watch in soccer right and you know it's it's hard to say it will we'll see how long ole is able to you know keep on treading water like he is here but i i have a feeling it's going to be longer than people think ole in ole in maybe that's a bit self-interested but Oh, yeah. you know, but if he is going to get fired, um, probably a, a better place to look for some signs of that would be in Manchester United's quarterly reports rather than anything they're doing on the field, because it, it doesn't seem to have much connection to what they're doing on the field at all. So I guess that's my takeaway message from this. I think it sounds good to me. Yeah. Um, Thank you, everybody, for for joining us on yet another episode of the Touchline Theory Soccer Podcast. We actually have this, uh, you know, just like United, we uh, come in fits and spurts, uh, if that's the right <laughs> idiom, in terms of our releases. But, you know, whenever Will and I Is get it, inspired, we we no. really get inspired. So we, that's we come in fits and spurts, for sure. Oh. <laughs> That'll be the, the tagline of the Jesus podcast. Jesus Christ. Touchline um, Theory. Two boys fits and spurts, um, but okay. Here's well, what that's I'll say. that's the teaser. Uh. <laughs> here's here's what I'll say. Um, we are going to do a bit of a double header here. I know we've talked a lot about the crisis at Man United, or if it's a crisis really at all, or if we can all kind of just smile through the pain. The only the only people truly suffering here are Manchester United fans, and they deserve it. So I don't know <laughs> if I call it a crisis. But another cohort of of uh, Inchada of uh, inches rather 
that are suffering in chess are fans for you know argentine slang oh I guess. wow cool thanks for making Just, me you know, feel uncultured for a moment by throwing in some spanish there That's cool. i enjoy excluding you in public fashion yeah but you're, you're not the only one martin here's what i'll say uh there's also <laughs> other suffering fans out there and i think today marked an interesting marquee moment for suffering for barcelona um, we're going to have plenty to discuss in our doubleheader part two of this episode mm -hmm. about how can we escape a cycle of crippling mediocrity. It's something that we have kind of seen in multiple places. So we're going to chat about this um, through a different lens very soon. But until then, well, then um, down with this the Hula Gang. Uh, yes. Woo! Coming out soon. Almost um, forgot. Please, please download it. Please use the code. Uh, you know. We weren't supposed to tell you this, but the, the more people use the code, the more money we get from this. So even if even if you're not going to use it, just, you know, give it a try. And who knows? It could be pretty fun. I, I'm like legitimately very excited for dust up mode. I have no idea what it's going to be like, um, but I think we, I'm going to we'll, do pretty well. Will, for those of you that don't know, at some point in his uh, FIFA playing career was like a top 100 player in the United States. And, no. and that was he... with no mic, Martin. Think about the power <laughs> out. That's such a weapon that you wield now. And that's the thing. I'm terrified of him on dust up mode because he has just this knack, just like Arigi has a knack for bizarre scorpion touch goals. Will has a knack for getting people to just exit the, the premises anytime he walks in. Um, and that has manifested itself through his FIFA playing career, but it, I, I anticipate yeah. it'll be the same when he walks into a chat room and just starts dropping bombs. Good. So. I mean, that's that's one of the things I really like about Dustup is uh, it's ranked. So you know, the the real hard hitters like me will will be out of there up and in, up into the good ranks quickly, and it'll give a you know maybe an easier settling end period for people like you who you know yeah maybe can't, I'm not, can't can't take it quite so hard. I can't yeah. take the heat. None of my none of my yeah. zingers really zing all that much. Yeah, like I'll I'll find my place among the you know the bottom dwellers and <laughs> you know i'll admire your your spectacular prominence from up above but but fundamentally you know like you mentioned use the discount code what's the discount code will touchline theory oh okay that's so touchline theory with two t's um use the discount code and uh you know, just like just like United, we are both very financially interested uh, in this opportunity. Uh, we told that to um, Hula Gang when we first kind of interacted. We said, listen, we'll champion the product. But the thing that matters most to us is lining our pockets. And they were very on board with that. They said, you know, we see this as a lucrative opportunity for both of us. So get the app. Yeah, subscribe, hey, follow, maybe, comment, and maybe we'll uh, see you on there. You know, and add, rate. add Barca and or Liverpool is one of your favorite teams. We'll be in the chat rooms. You know, we'll be spending time. Maybe we can do a little meet and greet with the fans. Who knows? That's uh, true. Yeah. But anyway, thanks. This has been fun, Will. Um, it's a good one. It's great to see you again, and and great to to enjoy. Uh, yeah, this conundrum, I suppose. We just it's, deal with conundrums on this show, don't we? It's it's been a fun week for me. This is one of my favorite conundrums to talk about so far. It's uh <laughs> personal satisfaction from this one. But uh all right guys, till next time. Till next time.